Off the ball. It's not like Maradona or Messi, where the ball is tied to the left foot. I always see the ball as something which is bouncing, like an obedient, happy puppy. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. Michael Van Gerwen is on a main data in the world final and just misses double 12. Over to you, Michael Smith. One man misses, does the other man get? I've never seen the like. Come on, Spully Boy. Yes, double 12. So apparently that's good. Ah, oh, come on. <laughs> well, I, I, I explain what's going on. Oh, so nine, a nine dart leg is obviously the pinnacle of, of darts. To do it in the World Championship is, is the pinnacle. To do it in TV. To do it in the World Final. Was that edited? Was there something missing in between? No, no, no this that is, was that's absolute so, live footage. So what, what happened is Van Gerwen nearly hits the nine darter himself. So he hits a 180, followed by Michael Smith's 180. Then um, they both hit maximums again. So then they're left with their, their last dart each and Van Gerwen goes up and hits all bar the last dart, the double 12, just misses. And uh, if he gets it first... he gets it first, Michael Smith doesn't have the opportunity to hit his nine darter because he's won not, the leg. Is that not a bit unfair? Is that whoever gets to go first wins? You have a, It's like tennis, so you have a, almost a, a serve. Right. So you have a, you ha, if you have the throw in a leg, it means you throw first. It's a marginal advantage. So you're expected it's to win. It's a big advantage. It, it's a fairly big advantage. It can be. But um, yeah, then Smith steps up and nails it and the crowd clearly as you heard there after each dart go absolutely wild One, probably the greatest sporting event I've ever seen that leg of darts it's certainly the greatest leg of darts there's ever been that's huge like you say inside this pre-match or, sorry yeah. I had to I had but to stand up live. I, I had to go for a walk last night at half 11 12 by myself <laughs> I, there, there's a rare sporting moment where I have to go for a walk at night and just gather my thoughts and, and literally just think about what's just happened um, that was one of them and why was it so impressive? It's in a world final. I think Adrian Lewis, 2011, was the last player to hit a, a nine-darter in a world final. Smith had never won a world championship before. He's lost two finals. You don't want him to turn out like the Jimmy White of, of darts that never wins a world championship. And he beats Michael Van Gerwen, who is in supreme form. Um, washed aside the opposition in the quarters and semis. Looked like, for all intents and purposes, the man to beat. And yet, Michael Smith goes and wins his first PDC world championship title. And that nine-dart leg... You won't ever see... I described it earlier, lads, as, as like hitting in, in the Masters, in Augusta, two golfers, level with, say, three holes to go. Say on the 17th hole, the first golfer steps up, hits a hole in one in a par three, crowd goes wild. Second golfer steps up on the tee, pressure, hole in one. Or maybe it's like the first golfer just missing the hole in one. But but the, the point stands. It, it's it's sport at its, at its finest pinnacle. It's not hole in one though. I mean, I, we shouldn't be. I don't think. I, it's funny how you feel the need to compare these things. Oh no, but I'm just trying to to for for non darts fans to contextualise it. Contextualise it a little. It's bit. not quite the hole in one though. Like I don't know how else to describe it. Some people maybe say it's a one four seven followed by a one four seven and two successive frames of snooker. Just high end good stuff that people are good at doing good, doing good. Ridiculous it's, uh, for people who don't read good. It's the people who do read good. Yeah, and so they had to make a change on commentary. Oh, Wayne Mardle, as one of the people you'll have heard in the commentary there, completely loses his voice. He goes, I can't speak, I can't speak. Can't speak. Has to be literally taken out of the commentary box because he physically can't speak. 
I mean, and then, oh. like, sorry, speaking of, of not being able to speak. Why do they not do nine darts more often? Well, that was, that was the first nine darter of this World Championship, which is which shows sorry, how difficult. So, nine darts is like, um, you, you, it's not all in one go, you get your three. So, obviously, you get your three darts, so the player goes, you get your three darts. So, it's a 180, a 180, or a 177. Sometimes you go down for treble 19 instead of a treble 20, but you still get the finish on the last three darts. Uh, and usually then it's a treble 20, treble 20, double 12 uh, to finish. The, the So it's just nine perfect darts. Right. Um, speaking of people don't have a voice, December 15th on this show with, with the two of you fine gentlemen, uh, I was asked, text, uh, you read out, Jerry, um, who who does Shane think will win the World Championship? All oh, right, he's, he's, Michael, going, he's Mike, overdoing now. Michael Smith had never won a World Championship. He wasn't. I, what price was he? I think he was maybe... F- Seven to one at the start of the right, tournament, yeah. but uh, let's just play this clip. I don't have a voice in this clip because this was the day I just been out just, all night. just before I lost my voice. But uh, here's how uh, here's how I predicted the world championship would go. Um, I'd say <clears throat> to answer the question, I think Michael Smith is going to win. He won the world grand. I forgot there was a question there. Yeah, there yeah. was a question. Sorry, but, Mark. Uh, <clears throat> no. There you go, Michael Smith called it, nailed it. Hopefully, uh, you put a few quid on if you heard me say that, but uh, I didn't, um, unfortunately. But um, yeah, Michael Smith, what a moment. Uh, darts is coming home was the champion <coughs> of Pally last night sorry the greatest sports event you've ever seen in your life um, <laughs> in terms of, in terms of most skill most skilled because, because it, and it, it wouldn't have been that great if it had just been Michael Smith hitting the nine darter it was the context of Van Gerwen nearly hitting it before okay. it was the perfect perfection of the whole thing okay it, and because it, it was a final as you well you have just witnessed Messi winning you know the World Cup like just Recently enough. Yeah, let's not compare them. Whatever about your reasons, but you just said you did. You, you were like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Maybe it's a better reason. Yeah, but it's the greatest it. thing that can happen in, in that sport, isn't yeah. it? 100%. Yeah. It's the greatest match no. in darts history. Okay. What made it for me was the, uh, it was the fans and the commentary, but it was like the boom, ow, oh, boom, ow. Oh. ASMR. Autosensi w- Meridian I'm a response member. I, I, we spoke about this before Christmas. Yeah. Uh, it was one of those where what, the dart hits the board and the crowd go wild. And in this instance, my autoerotic association is correct <laughs> for you. I can see in your body language how much you want to move on. Well, when I was watching the Arsenal game, minding my own business, uh, and then this popped up everywhere on social. I was like, better watch this. Okay. And I watched like four times we, uh, in the space of five minutes. I was actually sitting there, sorry, Philly, and I was thinking of you, Jerry, last night, right? Philly can text me last night, one of our own, great darts man as well, and he says, if you don't like darts after tonight, then you can't be saved. So I, I didn't see it. Well, that's the thing. You know? First of all, you should have been, you should have been watching, and I feel sorry for anyone who wasn't watching last night. Uh, there were a lot of people who maybe just tuned in last night because it was the final and haven't watched any of the PDC uh, before to, uh, last night, and are now in love with the sport. But it was only one third of your watching last night, wasn't it? Oh, I had uh, we have a photo Look there. Of my, my was my setup in the in, in the apartment last night. So the darts. Where are you getting? Uh, of course, I've subscribed to all of those channels. Yeah. Um, United, Bournemouth, Arsenal, Newcastle. I couldn't pick one. Um, so I managed to get all three up on on the. Okay. Shifty lad says brilliant scale, amazing stuff, but the ultimate finish is on the bull for the nine darter. Well, yeah, that's that's. Is that not just being fancy? It's, it's been fancy, yeah. It's still a nine darter. <clears throat> uh, lads, United can't, can they? Asks Brian Dillon. As Jer would say, it's the hope that kills you. I mean, uh, so uh, you guys are excited about the darts, fair enough. I'm very excited about Evan Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hard not to be at the minute. I thought you were going to talk about United. The first clip that, um, well, we can, I mean, I'm surrounded, as I say, usually, clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, or the other way around. Uh, we'll get to Manchester United, don't worry, we will. Um, but, like, this is legit excitement, and 
and then Brighton bring on another Irish kid who's like an attacking, hard-running, nifty feet midfielder. It's like, come on. It's not, it's not, it's not Evan Ferguson's time yet, is it? Is it? It looks like it. I think it is. Like, he's got the, the stature, six foot two, strong, always in the right position, holds put, the ball up well. Takes put him the in the team and, and scores in a game where they're getting hammered and then start the next week. Yeah. Like the next, the, the next game, start and then be like perfect for the team. Could he finish in double figures for the season in the Premier League? Oh, I don't know. Oh. I mean, he's got two and two games. He must have been spurred on by the Gillette Labs performance rankings yesterday. I think so. His inclusion. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, and we, we promoted him to green. We did. It was going to be an amber. Rightly so, I think. Was, uh, when he was interviewed last night afterwards, it was, you know, well, your goal at the weekend was a consolation, but today it really mattered. Mm. I was thinking, geez, an established footballer would be a bit annoyed by the tone of that questioning, but he responded so well. He'd be like, yeah, yeah, it's brilliant to actually contribute to a yeah. win. Um, like, an old head in the shoulders just turned 18, really. It's very exciting. His very dad, exciting. His dad was a professional footballer and has given him the, probably the word in the, the year and, and told him how to how to control expectations, stay away from the press and all the rest. Like yeah. The thing that stood out to me most about Evan Ferguson when I spoke to him recently, Liverpool fans, tune, tune out now if you want, but he, he had the option for, to go to Liverpool. It was Liverpool and Brighton that were in for him mainly. Um, went over to view the facilities in Liverpool, did the same with Brighton. A couple of the young Irish lads were at Brighton there as well. And he said, I turned down Liverpool because players get lost in the system. That's what Robbie Keane did as well. 100%. Wolves. Yeah. What a decision. Yeah. I mean, clearly Brighton fans would be delighted now that Ferguson did choose that. <laughs> Well, uh, <clears throat> apparently, uh, oh no, maybe I'm, I'm mixing this up here. Um, so, it, in the summer, um, whenever, whenever, hang on, let me just get this right here, so I'm, I'm going to get this 100% correct. Um, so, Ferguson, obviously, very impressive character, but uh, the subs last night, Alexis McAllister came on after 62 minutes, after 79 minutes, there was four other subs, three other subs, Lalana. Uh, Lamptey and Andrew Moran came off the bench after 79 minutes Andrew Moran apparently had the opportunity to sign either for United uh, or Liverpool and ended up re- like signing the full professional contract uh, with Brighton um, again probably the same thing he felt like there was going to be an opportunity for him when he signed Graham Potter who was the manager at the time said oh he's going to be involved at some point this year with the first team and lo and behold it's not even Graham Potter but he's off the bench last night now I mean the game had got away from Everton and so it was probably safe enough to be bringing him on, but um, you know, Alex McAllister, come on, yeah, off the bench, he's on the same bench as him. World Cup winner, yeah. that's not bad. No, it's not. This is like legitimately exciting about the quality of players coming through, and like, be good to track this through. The one thing that strikes me about um, Evan Ferguson is like the size and body shape. Mm. He's like a Gaelic football midfielder or a rugby flanker, and we haven't had a whole heap of those players coming through I mean maybe Nathan Collins is, is fairly similar and maybe there is a new prototype of young player coming through who will be bigger and stronger traditionally the players who came through in Irish football were Damien Duff uh, that kind of scrawny I'm good at football uh, Robbie Keane again also not one of the like bigger athletes you know Robbie Keane on his instincts as opposed to his uh, athletic prowess um, uh, you're thinking of Andy Reid's those players who are kind of smaller and more compact and better on the ball but like if we're going to start getting our we're going to start getting our best athletes to play soccer well he, he's got the uh, Gary Doherty type big man shape but he, he moves better he's quicker he's better on the ball yeah. with all respect to Gary but I mean he just has that primal striker's instinct I mean in the comments they're comparing him to Erling Haaland far be it from me to make the comparison but we have a Haaland 
Has he, has he done enough already to, if nothing was to ever happen again in his career, Evan Ferguson, we'd still remember him for this little spell? Because it's been so long since we've had an Irish attacking player at the top level of the game that we can really shout about. In the, no, I mean, level, I think you know? John Fallon in the uh, examiner is pointing out, we were making the same point yesterday, Aaron Connolly, like two goals in a game for Brighton in a Premier League match, wins a game for them yeah. against Spurs. Mm. That, was, that, was one, you know, that was one game, whereas Ferguson's done it two in a row. I know one was consolation, but... I also, you know, he set up like ten, he's assisted um, Sadi March's goal as yeah, well. That's so I know it was a simple pass, like, but about seven players after that. Pass, but um, <laughs> well, it was it all counts. It, it I mean, it does statistically. Really. <laughs> statistically, it does. Yeah, but I mean, only for fantasy football. He looked, he looked composed with a pass off to the. He did. Not to get yeah, carried exactly. Away. I think let's get carried away. That's the whole point about being a sports fan is getting carried away. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, he's making the point um, Fallon was making the point about we've been excited about that Quattro uh, Fantasticos before um, Parrots Obafemi Adamida and Connolly and uh, like that was you know when those four were in the squad you're like okay at least at least one of them's going to make it now I think Adamida's still going to make it and like um, he was back scored a goal at the weekend was back in the team is playing football again and he's definitely going to be if uh, fitness if he gets any kind of run he's going to be back in the Ireland team but like uh, Ferguson's in the Ireland team now. If we're getting, if we're playing France next week, mm. Evan Ferguson is playing that game, right? Uh, yeah, 100%, yeah, he yeah. has to. Yeah, he has to. Yeah, there'll be no starting. There. You mean? Yeah, I think so. Like he would, yeah, he'll be in the team. I would say hasn't scored an international goal, and you're throwing him in against the. But World he, Cup he, he's like he's playing. He's a, at the moment a first choice Premier League striker. Yeah, how many of those do we have? No, yeah. it's a fair. It's a fair point. And uh, Stephen Kenny has messed around a bit with his front line. Like so, there's no established number nine that we're definitely sticking to. Scary but, prospect like, putting an 18 year old into that game, though, isn't it? Well, not, as scary as it would be starting a Premier League game, you know, like 18 years old. I think if he starts doing that, it's it's an opportunity. It buys him a bit of time, you know. Is playing against France not a bigger? Uh, that's a step up to playing against Everton. 100, yeah. percent absolutely. Of course it is. Yeah. Well, no, it's like uh, absolutely. Yeah. You know, I just um, don't. Want, I just don't want him to be rushed. We, well, t- we tend to do that, we've, but like we've got no time. Well, it's true. Yeah, we we live in the now. Do you give him ten minutes at the end of the the French game? Break him into the team. You, slowly? Might, well, you might bring him on as the first sub with about twenty five minutes to go. Yeah, it's three 0 already. Yeah, well, that's the I thing. Start, it's, it's a big, it's a big gamble. A Why not start him? Who are you going to well, start? Look, instead? he seems like a man who can. Well, he's probably going to start. Uh, let's say Adam Eder plays every minute of every game in between now and then, and it's obviously it's three months away. But if it's next weekend, mm. who are you starting? Yeah, there's no options really. It's a, the only way I can see him being started is if the hand is forced and at the minute obviously a couple of months out maybe the hand will be forced um, but the only uh, downside would be starting that he plays about an hour gets hooked because he's marked out of the game yeah. and then we're a bit um, and then the excitement wanes but like oh that was our hope up front and no, we've, we've, got the tricky, we've got the tricky debut out of the way it was against France what do you expect no, no expectations that's fine Just you go out and enjoy yourself and you've got that that's out of the way and you swap shirts with whoever you get and you're like yeah grand off you go I'm like I'm not like I'd, I play him like, like, there's nothing about him 18 other than actually his age. Like, he looks yeah. and sounds and carries himself older. And he, he, like, you know what the good thing about him is that it's not like an Irish, Irish person done well abroad. It's like he belongs mm. from what I've seen of him. It's not like, oh, has Need done well from Need? He's confident. Like, this guy is good. Like, and I think, put it this way, if, if he was English or from any other country, we'd be saying, like, oh, Brighton have a handy young fellow up front. Yeah. And so that's the way I'd see him. Like, so it's not um, a fair play to you, Evan. Seems it's like a very happy. relaxed individual. Like well, you uh, interviewed him, yeah. He's a bit of golf in his downtime as well, right. as most professional footballers tend to do, but very, very composed and calm. We won't hold that against him. We won't hold it against him, no, no, no. But uh, he's, ex- like, and you can see it when he's on the ball, he doesn't panic. So, uh, sorry, what was he actually like? 
He's yeah. He clearly he's young. You can tell he's young and inexperienced, but he definitely carries himself as someone more than eighteen. He he, he doesn't give mo- much away in interviews. Were you chatting outside of the interview? yeah, and his dad was there as well. So we were right. kind of chatting to his dad, but um, really, really good head and his shoulders. And like it's like the, the FBI guys were there with him as well, but they're not afraid of what he's going to say. He's totally because of the environment he's been in at Brighton and the people he's been around. Potter, Deserby, and even the players like Danny Welbeck, who you know, he, as I said yesterday, stays behind the training with these lads and practices little skills that he maybe isn't as uh, uh, pro, uh, good at as them. He's um, he's got something that that I think we haven't seen in an Irish striker in quite some time. Not exactly pinpointing him as Robbie, the next Robbie Keane, but I'm not not doing that either. That assist is significant, according to Pat Gallagher in the comments here, to verify if this is true. Mm-hmm. Ferguson is the youngest player to score an assist in a Premier League game since Michael Owen. But the assist was meaningful. Yeah. He's obviously come on in the last two internationals. Nathan's been in touch. Um, yeah. So he's already... He's made his debut, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, but starting. Start. Let's start him. I mean, that's what That's what we're talking about. I, think, just think of the 10 minutes before kick-off when Ferguson's in the team. From an Ireland fan's perspective. Well, I, I, I've already said he should start. I'm just um, arguing that he could start, get marked out of the game, get taken off, and then we're like, ah, that's our hope, God. But I would start him, definitely. Because it, well, it's not like we have a raft of options up there. It's true. Yeah. Y- you need that, that proper striker, striker. <sighs> you need that game happening this week, don't you? The France game. <laughs> you need it happening soon. Like, no, he'll be, he'd be on 12 goals by the time the France game comes around. He'd be on 12 Premier League goals. Yeah. Um... He get his hat trick in there somewhere. I, I see people giving out just about getting carried away or excited yesterday. We were obviously tug in cheek, talking about yeah. Robbie Keane like, "Ooh, clown." Okay, thanks, buddy. Great comment. Uh, well done. <laughs> you, can, you can still type even in the new year. Um, but like, why shouldn't you get excited? What's, what are we not? Yeah, yeah. You, you're concerned about the hype train getting carried away, but like, you know, the, very. You said about the darts. It's it's sport. We got to get excited here. Very few people are actually impacted. Generally. And specifically by the hype, people have trouble controlling their environment, and the people they're surrounded with. Sometimes uh, the, the people they grew up with, you don't have control over that, and that can like slow you down to where you're going. But in this instance, like let's just kind of, let's just get carried away. Let's just have a little bit of a dream that somebody who could be, you know, a Champions League striker, which is what we're we're dying for. Yeah. Well, what we need to we need to relax with him in that. He is so young. Like he could be playing football in 20 years' time still if he looks after himself. So all we're really looking for at the moment of Ferguson is not to have a sharp uh, breakdown like um, Connolly did in terms of from the elite level right down again. Like, you know, we, if, he just, um, if he just looks after himself a bit, mm. that's all we're kind of looking for, really. So if he stays there, thereabouts, for the first next three or four years, that would be good progress for Ferguson from an Irish perspective. He just hangs in there because he's so young. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's 15 to 20 years ahead of him. We just don't want to drop off like Connolly. Mm. And Connolly, as I said yesterday, Connolly can still come back. And like that could be a duo up front for Ireland. What were you saying? Ferguson Connolly. Yeah. You were talking earlier about the, the uh, comparisons between his, his debut for Bowes and his, um, yeah. his goal last night. So uh, Frank Lampard and uh, Evan Ferguson aligned. Oh, yeah. Ferguson um, scored for Bowes against Chelsea in Lampard's first game in charge mm. of his beloved Chelsea. And did he scored or did he just play? He scored. Did he, as a 15-year-old, yeah. did he? Yeah, he came. It was a pre-season game. I didn't know he scored. Right? I don't know. And uh, he scored in what could be Frank Lampard's last game in charge of Everton. Who knows what's going to happen today? As you were saying before, show, before the show, like it could be ten fifteen a.m. We get an announcement here. I wonder is Lampard aware of the link? I wonder if has someone pulled him aside. Do you remember went to, to Dublin for a friendly like four years ago? Do you remember that lad? I'd say he remembers the game. All right, it was his first game in charge. I'd say yeah. someone told him, and he was like, "Already, oh, really? okay, yeah." 
Doesn't yeah. <laughs> not he doesn't care right now. To be fair, because there were flares being thrown at the pitch last night and boos from the Everton faithful. So he has other things on his mind, Frank Lampard. Yeah, the one thing that might save him is um, the one all at Man City. And uh, Alex Iwobi came out afterwards last night saying, like, we're all in this together. We can, um, we can get through this. Now, Iwobi would be happy because Lampard converted him into a centre mid and plays him all the time. Yeah. So he had a more disgruntled Everton player interviewed afterwards. Might be uh, slightly different. But uh, Lampard's Everton go to United in the FA Cup this weekend. Friday night. I'd say barring a hammering, he could get away with it. Um, but it's... as Emma Carroll pointed out pre-show, Sean Dyche is ready to go here for Everton surely if he wants that job yeah it's the perfect club isn't it James Tarkovsky Dwight McNeil bring some of the old in. boys bring the band back together mm. this could be now, I, I think Lampard's in an okay job but someone on Twitter was saying last night it was like Lampard got a lot of credit for saving Everton relegation when he put them in a relegation battle in the first place yeah. but they were down and out about three quarters of the way through last season and he managed to get them out of it look at the betting here for the next uh, Everton manager Wayne Rooney is the strong favourite at 11 to 8 I mean, Sean Dyche then five to one. Moyes, I would be very excited about Wayne Rooney being the manager. He's it's, very uh, narrow favourite. It's premature, and it doesn't really make that much sense just yet. From him, from his perspective, it's why. Like, well, Wayne Rooney is actually learning uh, off Broadway what it means to be a manager. Straight back into Everton, who are in crisis. Take a club over. He will have his. He'll have his pick of jobs in the future. Right. Take a job at the end of the season where you know you're going to get the off season mm. and your own yeah. transfer window and your own your own technical staff and all that stuff and build all that up and then come and take club this Everton job is going to come around again they're not about to uncover the next Mourinho or Ten Hag they're not they're going to hire somebody short term who saves them from relegation and then life's short Joe you got to take your opportunity when it comes I mean know? Wayne Rooney's a young man he is but you never know Wayne Rooney's younger corner. than Ronaldo isn't he you, know, I, you just never know what's going to happen you never know, you know, in two, three, four years what he'll be at. I think when the Everton job comes up for someone like Wayne Rooney with the Everton links that he's he has. He's 37. Yeah, I know, but like, why not take it now? It's a, they're at a fairly bleak place. So, I mean, the only way is up. Like, Rooney might decide, well, this is actually this is actually a really good time to take this team over. I see some good bright sparks in that squad. Um, maybe they're just not playing for Lampard. I'm not sure. I don't know if he does see that many bright sparks in the squad at the moment. But, um, look... I just think that taking over at the start of the year, at the start of the season, when you've got the opportunity to come in and completely shape things, you've got a mad transfer rush now in the next three weeks to try and get players in who are going to be your style of players. I think Wayne Rooney, I think Wayne Rooney has the potential to be an excellent manager. The job he did at Derby was excellent, but it's short term. And like the job that Frank Lampard did at Derby wasn't bad. It wasn't great, but it wasn't bad. And so, you know, I, I just think that it's it's too soon. And like the track record of managers who are fast-tracked on the basis of their playing reputation isn't great. We've already seen it this season. Yeah, fair, but like, I mean, I don't think age gets in the way of it. Like, it, it, his job, he'd be given a little bit of leeway this season. The, the simple job would be keep them in the Premier League. Now, at the minute, they're, what, 16th? Point above the drop zone. Doesn't look great. But if he just keeps them in the Premier League this season, gets the summer to, to boost, bolster the squad, and then start again next season. I think it's quite a good time to take over. This is, a, of course, if Lampard gets the boot, which he may well. Mikel yeah. Arteta's cracking. Cracking. He's under pressure. And we're only in early January. He's, clap. He's, cl- he's another clap, isn't he? With Clap-esque. the excuses two, after two, the match. two penalties he said they had to have when he was asked by uh, Jess Reeves afterwards last night. The concerning thing for Arsenal is they made one sub-odd game, a straight swap at right-back. 
Tommy Asson for Ben White, they had no options really up front. They, Emil Smith Rowe was unavailable uh, to bring on. Uh, Reese Nelson as well. And so they were kind of like, they were a bit struggling at the end, kind of struggling to create chances. Odegaard kind of ran out of ideas. And uh, that's the one thing with Arsenal, like, still so much to go in the season. We're half, yeah. only halfway through, not even halfway through. They looked the more yeah. likely marginally, like they had chances, but it was just one of those little, little games that Newcastle seemed to. It got very ratty at the end with, did, yeah. between Howe and Arteta. I mean, was, um, love to see it. A rake of yellows. Uh-huh. Then Arteta's comments, yeah, that you mentioned, scandalous, he called the two penalty calls. I don't think they were scandalous. Yeah. I don't think there's many Arsenal fans watching this morning or listening this morning that would say... I don't understand yeah. the rules anymore. I really don't understand the rules. I, I, thought I thought I did, but like... So for a while, they were given all those penalties with the hand. When, once the hand comes up, they were given all those penalties, yeah. and then they stopped. I mean, they shouldn't give them, I don't think. But they were giving them for ages, right? He, he turned around and had his hands fully behind his back. I know. The one, he well, turned that, around the other one. Yeah, sorry, yeah, the other one. Yeah, the yeah. second one. And, like, that... I've seen that given a lot. Yeah, recently. Gary Neville in commentary was saying if I was a defender and that was given against me, I wouldn't be happy. His argument is where do you want to put your hand? I was always thinking where do you want to put your hand, but at the same time, What's if his arm isn't there, there the yeah. ball's going to go. Yeah. So, mm. give it. Uh, okay, just very briefly, have you seen that Chelsea are not finished with their spending splurge and now they're going to try and hijack the deal for Mudrick? From Arsenal's noses. Which would be like if you're. If you're Arteta and... Oh, that's why Arteta was so ratty last night. Maybe this has happened behind the scenes. Perhaps it might be connected. Uh, Supercan354 says, To be fair, Shane, the only way isn't up for Wayne Rooney. He could actually get them relegated. Yeah, but of course he has, yeah. He has the benefit of saying, well, Jesus, it's Frank's fault. Well, not really. (laughs) No, no, I know, but look, either way, it it is a pressure job, but any Premier League job, like, what job do you want him to take? Everton is the perfect ready-made, he knows the club already, he knows the people there. Yeah, or take a team team up from the Championship and get an extra season, you know, like, there's, I think Wayne Rooney's going to have his pick of jobs if he just waits, and let's see what, how well he does in, in Washington. I don't know if anybody's paying that much attention to the MLS. Don't think so. Uh, the goal was disallowed for Bowes. He assisted, yeah. I think. Mm. Michael O'Connell says he didn't score. He almost scored. Yeah. Okay, so okay, okay. Apology accepted. There, Colin. Jesus. Correction, but he still played a significant part in the game, which is my point for the tie-in for Frank Lampard. Fair. No, that's fair enough. Right, OTBIM is brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. Here's what's coming up between now and ten o'clock this morning. Uh, Mike Carson standing by. We're going to get to him in just a moment. Keith Wood is going to join us at eight fifteen. Glenn Durant at eight thirty-five. Uh, talking about the darts we'll have an update from John Duggan for the first time this year Jess Kelly is going to join us at 9.15 and we're playing you with uh, out with Mount Rushmore Antrim's Mount Rushmore uh, there was live Premier League coverage on Off the Ball and News Talk last night as well now a reminder Braeburn Coffee is the official coffee partner of OTB here's my cup start the new year off with a delicious Braeburn oat milk coffee January never tasted as good it's available at Apple Green locations nationwide now we are switching our attention to the NFL and delighted to say Mike Carlson is with us. Mike, good morning to you. How are you? Oh, good morning, Jer. I'm okay. Did you say Wayne Rooney's going to become the coach of Washington? Yeah, is he not already? <laughs> oh, uh, I'm the commander. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, in, he's in town. He's available. You know, why not? <laughs> I think he might at least know what the um, playoff ramifications are if they get beaten at the weekend. You know? Uh, they're already they're already gone, which is more than Ron Rivera appeared to know. Although I think he might have been trying to be ironically um, smart with the reporter. Who knows? Yeah, it's hard to tell. Um, obviously, the the big story in the NFL at the moment is uh, the health of Demar Hamlin. Uh, there hasn't been that much of an update really in the last twenty four hours. Um, they've confirmed that there's been a cardiac arrest, that his condition is uh, critical but stable, but there's been no updates. 
No, um, one of his relatives came out and, and basically said, you know, that it was. I think the only question now um, is whether or not there was brain damage um, in the time that his heart had stopped had stopped uh, pumping. I think I think don't think his life is in danger um, at this stage. Uh, but the the question will be how much oxygen uh, the brain lost over that over that time. And um, obviously that's that's a that's a critical one. But I think they'll probably just leave him until they know that his vitals are so secure. There's no danger in in um, waking him up. What what have you made of the the coverage? Is a spat between ESPN and the NFL about whether or not the NFL were going to ask the players to go back out. Um, that seems like a little bit of a sideshow to me. It's almost like the mass industrial complex of reporters on the NFL need to talk about something and a row between well, the broadcaster and the organization. Or is it, does it speak to something more, more important? I, I think that there's a little there's a little bit of importance because it, it was Troy Vin- Vincent, who's an executive vice president of the NFL and used, used to be a player, you know, who who came out and, and said we never considered um, re- restarting the game. Um, and obviously, up until the point they made the decision to um, for, you know, first postpone and then cancel. Uh, cancel the game. They were considering it, <laughs> you know, by definition. Until you make a decision not to, you're considering it. And the ESPN people have a ex NFL referee in the in their um, studio, and he was in contact with the lead. And I'm sure somebody somewhere along the line, uh, somebody in on site thought that once the field was clear, as usually happens with with injuries, even serious ones, that the game would restart and and someone told the teams to do that. The Troy Vincent was blaming. He said, well, you know, it might have been the players or the coaches. They don't do that on their own. And and it, you're right in the sense that it's not really an issue. You know, just say, yeah, well, it became obvious to us that, you know, that this this situation was having such an effect on both teams, players and coaches that we couldn't continue it. And so we dropped the dropped the plans then. And nobody, you know, nobody would say, oh, that was the wrong thing to do or you should have done it five minutes earlier or 10 minutes earlier or whatever. But but the NFL is so defensive in these situations um, that, that that they want to you know try to head off head off any criticism, and I think that's that's pretty much what what the problem is. Um, yeah, and, and frankly, there hasn't been a you know, they haven't had any experience with this. The la- the only player who's ever died on a field was 1971. It was Chuck Hughes. I remember this, and you know he just collapsed on the field, no hit, nothing like that. He it turned out that he had. Um, arteriosclerosis you know his his um his uh, arteries were blocked and he'd been complaining about this and gone to the hospital the week before and they said there's nothing wrong with you and he simply you know he simply wasn't getting any wasn't getting any blood so um you know i, I don't think there's a playbook here but but certainly certainly with the players behaving the way they were that you know stopping the game was the right decision and it puts them in a bit of a bind now as to as to what happens with the last week of the season um what are the potential outcomes is there do they just declare the game a tie and move on is that possible Prob- something like that yeah or just a no a non-game you know no 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 result um i can't see them adding another week to this you know just to play this one game uh, because that would kind of throw everything else into um, into chaos in terms of their playoff schedules and indeed the Super Bowl schedule. But the effect it has um, now is that if if ball, if um, 
if Buffalo win um, this week playing the Patriots, assuming you know, and assuming that their their players are, are playing really well at that point, but if Kansas City win, Kansas City would then become the top seed by basically half a game um, in what they say in baseball terms, a better winning percentage. Um, the Bengals appear to be locked into the third seed as a result of, of not playing. The Patriots might have been thinking that uh, Buffalo would have the first seed sewn up with a win over Cincinnati and uh, therefore Buffalo wouldn't play them very hard because they're the right now the only win and in team for the single the single playoff place that remains in the AFC um and it's interesting because usually the NFL tries to avoid letting teams find out what they need to do on the last week of the season uh, if they can but the way they set it up this year with kansas city playing on saturday that would mean that buffalo would know whether or not they needed to win to keep the top seed um on sunday and uh, ten- tennessee and jacksonville obviously played on saturday and that play on saturday and that's a win and in for one- for either team um and it- it's a bit you know las vegas um n- not las vegas but um seattle will if they win that will take detroit out of playoff contention in the last game of the weekend against green bay um if seattle lose then the winner of that game would go in but yeah i'm not i'm not sure exactly how they they would remedy this in 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 any way and um you know it's it's such a a, a freak such a freak occurrence in in this kind of a game and yeah i, I remember as well in 98, the Bo- Chris Pronger of um, the Chicago Blackhawks NHL team, this is 25 years ago now, um, playoff game against Detroit. And Dmitry Mironov, you know, as hockey players do, he left the guy that he was uh, holding and, and pun- you know, punching on and stuff and sort of slid out toward Dmitry Mironov, who was coming in to take a shot. And Mironov took a hard slap shot. And Pronger, being a hockey player, not a football player, soccer player, stood in front of the shot and let it hit him in the chest and it hit him in the chest and exactly the same thing happened. He took about two strides and then collapsed. Um, and his heart had stopped beating. Um, they got, he was, uh, out for about 20 seconds. They said, but he was fine. He he actually played four days later. Um, but that's about the closest equivalent I can, I can think to this situation, you know, and it's one of those kind of freak occurrences where you're hit, the hit is hard enough and in the right spot, um at just the time that your your heart your, your heart's pumping and stop pumping um and and it continues that so yeah, i don't think in bigger terms there's anything much the nfl can do in terms of like changing rules or trying to protect players from this it it really is just a, a freak occurrence and um you know when you watch the hit it's not a it's not a huge hit it's t higgins Goes just hit, you know, puts his head down, hits him with his shoulders in the chest, but it's just too hard at the wrong time. Yeah, um, it's like obviously horrific for for the Bills and, and for his family and for anybody who's ever met him. And it's completely overshadowed what was bubbling to a, a conclusion, which is all of the big guns that the NFL would want to be involved in the first weekend of the playoffs we're going to be there. We had Tom Brady in. It looks like we have Aaron Rodgers in and his team are surging. Uh, Dallas has a good team. The Giants are back. The big markets are doing really well. The traditional storied franchise of the 49ers are on a roll with a, a superstar trade that they made in the middle of the season and Mr. Irrelevant. Like it, it looked like it was actually bubbling up to be the perfect NFL season. 
Yeah. Um, and it's been such a strange season, and, you know, and there's there's such an awful lot of um, mediocrity in the league. You know, that we used to say the league wanted every team to finish eight and eight, um, you know, and then they would have to go down to the 23rd tiebreaker to decide who gets into the playoffs. But because of the 17 game season, now you get nine and eight. You have to be either not nine and eight or eight and nine at the end of, end of the year for those spots. But, you know, the glamour players are all there. Um in the, this Buffalo Cincinnati game was a great one. It was going to be a great one uh, because you know the young quarterbacks who've now taken over from Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, uh, not, you know neither of whom has looked particularly effective uh, even during these these runs of success that they've had in the last few weeks. Um, you know, uh, and uh, Herbert in in Los the Los Angeles Chargers is there as well. So the playoffs were actually shaping up to be very, very interesting indeed. And the team that had been the best team in the league for most of the season, uh, Philadelphia, uh, Jalen Hurts has been out. They've lost the last two games. The fans booed them in the first quarter uh, with the team standing at 13 wins and two losses. And <laughs> that's that's why I love Philadelphia. Um, and really the only team kind of like in the do- in dive position right now is, is Minnesota. Um, um, yeah, and maybe and maybe the Ravens. Uh, so yeah, I I agree. I think the the playoffs were shaping up very very nicely and and exactly as the NFL would have wanted uh, to see. And now uh, I don't know how much of a shadow this will will throw over the whole playoff scheme. You know, I kind of suspect it won't. Um, the, a week is a long time in in football, as uh, Harold Wilson said, I think, and. Um, I think I think that even the Bills will uh, and will probably be ready to play um, on Sunday on Sunday against the Patriots. And and uh, to be honest, Patriots fans will probably be saying, "Oh, it's a bad break because they probably wouldn't have played our best team again, their best team against us." No, but they don't deserve to be in the playoffs anyway. So um, I don't think it matters one way or the other. This uh, this giant story, Mike, is is quite incredible. That win over the Colts, thrashing over the Colts the weekend was. Um uh, really, really impressive, especially when it's year one of a, of a new regime. You would have thought at the start of the year, if they make the playoffs, that's that's their target for the year achieved. But sounds like they they want to go further. What can, what can this Giants team do? It, it's a really good question, and I, I was, you know, about three weeks into the season, I was declaring Brian Dayball the coach of the year, and then other things happened, and people were behind Nick Sirianni in in Philadelphia, or you know maybe Kyle Shanahan in San Francisco, you know. But um, I think he really is the coach of the year in the NFL. This was a team that not only was hor- horrible roster wise in terms of strength, but also salary cap in salary cap hell. They you know there was not much flexibility they could do with improve uh, to improve the team, and he, he's done it by coaching you know that they have basically been the kind of team that hangs in games um makes it hard for you to win tries to simply work the clock control possession and keep themselves in a position to be in sort of a one score game toward the end of the year um they've been lucky that saquon barkley has been healthy for the virtually the whole year for the first time in about four seasons and he's managed daniel jones just as he managed as offensive coordinator in Buffalo, Josh Allen. You know, Dayball basically kept Allen in an offense that would emphasize his strengths and minimize his weaknesses 
people said you can't coach accuracy in a coach well he in a quarterback but he appeared to do that perfectly and it's kind of what he's done with daniel jones they've avoided daniel jones's biggest single problem you know which is turnovers and and standing in in the pocket we what we saw from jones against indianapolis he ran for almost 100 yards he looked a little bit like a minor league version of josh allen in those circumstances and you know i don't think he he he's converted daniel jones into a star quarterback but what he's done is is put Daniel Jones in a position where he's not going to lose lots of games for the for the team and he can actually win a couple they've got a lot of confidence they've got a strong pretty strong defense um one of the best underlooked players I think in the league is Dexter Lawrence their defensive tackle and um I think that it, they'll probably it looks like play Dallas in in the first week I think that'll be a very interesting game actually um and I think, as Jer said, it, it's these are the glory days that people, fans over here especially, remember because you know the Giants, the Giants, Washington, Dallas, and even occasionally the Eagles when they when the um, NFC East was a beast of a division. You know that that was really good football and really good rivalries, and I'm really happy to see that back. Um, you know, Mike. One last thing: When do you expect the NFL to make an official announcement about what's going to happen with that game and how they're going to account for it in the standings? Well, they've said already, I mean, officially that, you know, the game, that game won't be played. Um, they haven't announced exactly how they'll account for it in the standings. I suspect that what's going to happen is they're going to see how the dust flies and, and, and where, where it lands. And then they'll, then they'll make a decision. Um, and, and maybe hope that the results will, will make that decision easy, uh, to do. It would be extremely tough on Buffalo to lose the top seed without losing a game that would have that would have cost them that um remember they beat kansas city earlier in the season in kansas city so they hold the tiebreaker over kansas city but uh, um if if they win out they become 13 and 4 and and if um kansas city win they become 14 and 3 so kansas city would become the top seed unless they they do something about it i i don't think something like playing on a short week would be fair to anybody uh, including the team that then would have to play in the playoffs the next week, and they would have to start rejigging the playoff schedule. So I, I, I get the, I get the sense that the mo- you know, the easiest thing for them and the most practical would be to just play it as it lays and let it go. Um, and and you know, it, it's a tough break on, on Buffalo if that's the way the scenario uh, works out. So you give you give both teams a tie essentially. Yeah, yeah, okay. basically, yeah. And, and you know, and then that doesn't count really when they're figuring out percentage, winning percentage. All right, Mike, great stuff. Thanks a million for joining us this morning. Cheers. Oh, thanks, Jer. It's uh, Mike Carlson. There, we'll obviously get him back over the next few weeks as the uh, playoffs bubble up. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. After the short break, we're going to have Keith Wood. Uh, stay tuned. OTB AM. Keith Wood, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning, Chair. I'm excellent, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very good, very good. Um, so the news came through that uh, Johnny Sexton has had surgery on his injured cheekbone and they haven't announced yet what they think the prognosis is going to be in terms of his recovery. But it's anything from a few weeks to a little bit longer. Um, what do you do if you're the Ireland selectors? Do you take this opportunity to say, OK, um, we don't rush back. Let's see what life is like without you and uh, remind everybody about why we need you so much. Well, I think for every player and for every coach, they would be looking to get their players back as quickly as they can, safely. So I think that's the only overriding um, call. 
I do think they get an, a chance and an opportunity to see which other guys stand up in that period of time. So um, uh, I don't know that they take it as being that they just leave it and say, look, take the Six Nations off and you'll be you'll be fine and we can see how we react. Ireland have always been very pragmatic in how they deal with um, with competitions in, I would say, in fairly stark contrast to uh, Eddie Jones over the last few years. Ireland concentrates on the here and now with an idea that they know that that's what funds the game. And if you don't do that, you can put yourself in a slightly precarious position. So... Um, Ireland want to do well in World Cups and we hope that they will um, break their duck and at this time and get past the, the quarterfinals at least um, though they're in the hard side of the pool but they they do manage their their resources properly so I, I and I don't think that Farrell is I think I don't think he takes chances I think he understands his players and he he um I think he tends to get the best out of them. So, um, look, I would see it from him as saying, well, this is for life post Johnny. We have a great idea of who we have. But I wrote down the names of the out-halves that we have, and I don't know that we've ever had as many players that you can say could play international rugby. Now, that doesn't mean that they're Johnny Sexton, but there's a lot more in the depth chart than there has been for a long, long time. Um, like there's a good chance that he's back early enough in the Six Nations schedule and that, you know, maybe it might be one game. It, the, there's definitely, there was a, an immediate catastrophizing, okay, he's gone for the whole tournament. Um, and then it's like, well, actually, you know, what would it be like to have Carberry play and be the man all week knowing you're going to have to be the boss against Wales? You're going to have to go up against that back row and boss them around and move them around and move the ball down the pitch um, and also unleash our backline. Uh, so it, it's a, it's a, a tricky enough scenario to manage, right? Because if Sexton's coming back for the second game or the third game, then you know you're really only keeping the jersey warm. Yeah. But I think it, things can change pretty radically if you get a good chance and play very well. And then it can be the situation after a couple of weeks that you're still playing and Johnny's on the bench because that's where the future lies. And also that's where possible injury could leave us in the World Cup. And that could be the right discussion to be having had at that stage. I mean, I when I look, I, it's funny, I was thinking about this uh, uh, yesterday when we were looking at the um, the different players at 10. Carberry's played well for Ireland at 10. Um, every time he's been called on, he, play, he probably plays better for Ireland than he does for Munster. I think he fits into the system a bit easier than he does. Uh, than with the monster setup and with better players around him, which he has in Ireland. So um, I don't have any fear in terms of Carberry, in terms of that at all. I have been intrigued by watching some of the other players um, be put under pressure and shine under that pressure. Uh, some of the hype around Jack Crowley has been, it's premature. I think he's played pretty well. But uh, having him as the second coming of Christ seems to be a little bit uh, aggressive. I think he's getting into the idea of uh, of managing big pressure games. I still don't think he is. I, I don't think he's there yet as a ten. But I actually think Roundtree's done an incredibly good job with him by putting him into twelve because he gets to play and be a little bit more robust and get stuck in a little bit. 
um, understand the pressure that these games are and the pace of these games, which are radically different from anything else he would have played before. So I think he's he's getting there. Then you get Ben Healy, who hasn't been... He played his best game for Munster against South Africa and then wasn't picked again afterwards. Then he comes on and plays at the weekend. And what struck me with him was that he was taking the ball to the line that he was his passing was phenomenal and like really phenomenal and of course we know he can he's um, a boot that can kick the ball anywhere so um i just i just think it's interesting watching how they do it and then i just to touch on one more ross Byrne, who is often neglected by us on this show um he then plays every game that he has to play this year and seems to have matured a lot more and is playing in a system that is protecting Johnny Sexton uh, in Leinster. And uh, he plays in the same system. He is not to Johnny's standard, but he has played an awful lot better this season, I think, in general play. His his goal kicking is the best in the country. What's what's your order of preference, Keith? If you're if you're Andy Farrell talking about your, your ten depth chart after Johnny, what's your what's your what what order is your list in? Yeah, it's it's hard because it, like without going onto some level of partisan grounds, um, I think if you look at what Farrell has looked at over the autumn, um, his natural view on it, he was really interested in Kieran Frawley, but Frawley has hasn't played so. So that kind of knocks him back a little bit. Um, I think he sees Joey as his number two. I think he sees, um, as it stands at the moment, Crowley as his number three. Um, I think he sees Ross Byrne as his number four. Now, that's only because of some of the injuries that are there. Um, I'd still like to see Ben Healy get a, get a chance further up the line because there's a whole variety of reasons behind that, but we can discuss that in a minute. But that's where I see it. But I also know we have players that can play a style. So Crowley came on and played against Australia, but he played very deep because he hasn't been, he hasn't played a huge amount of professional rugby. And that pressure is phenomenal. And that's not natural for him. And ultimately we want him to get closer to the gain line because that's where he's at his most cutting. And I think he is one of the players that can do that, but he can fit into an Irish system. I think after a period of time, but he would be very new in that system. So I think when you look at it at different times, those three players are the ones after Johnny. Like the, the section injury obviously takes him out for at least the, the first game as it stands at the moment from the Six Nations perspective, but also from a Leinster perspective, it does give Ross Byrne the opportunity over the next month to play his best rugby of his life and stake that claim for the starting gig against Wales. Things would need to go spectacularly well for him, and it's hard, even if it goes spectacularly well, because everyone would be like, "Well, sure, it's Leinster. What, what would you expect?" So, um, it, it, you know, the other side of that is Carberry has to play better at ten for Munster. I, I know the point you're making about it's easier for him at Ireland with the better players and, and more go forward ball, but he also needs to just say, "Right, this is my moment. I've been waiting my entire career for this, and the opportunity." Because you make a really good point. If if you play that Wales game and you, you play really, really well, then there's a decision to be made about getting Sexton game time and actually taking that opportunity to ease him back in whenever he's back. Yeah, I think that I, but I think that's valid once you get a chance. Like all sports people do, nobody wants injury, right? Nobody ever wants to see an injury in a competitor that you're, you're up against or a rival. 
But you know it's the nature of the game. If we look at it, there's 25% of rugby players are pretty much injured at any one time. So if you, I know that's a kind of loose st- statistic, but for the purpose of this conversation, it's fine. So there's always a chance that somebody would be injured. And there's also always a chance for you to take your opportunity. And for me, that is the, the, the key component here. Um, in all the time we've talked about Johnny Sexton, nobody has stood up and taken that jersey. Nobody has grasped it. Now, that can come down to Johnny being um, um, a very powerful figure in Irish rugby, but it also comes down to the players not playing well enough. Now, they still don't have to play like Johnny. They can They can play in the system that Ireland has set up and they can play a bit like Johnny, but they can have different things and bring different things to bear. Like let's like Johnny's thinking around the game is phenomenal. So he is plotting. It's like fast chess. He's plotting everything he needs as quickly as he can, but his body doesn't move as quickly as it used to. So a younger guy that comes in and plays well, plays consistently, pulls the strings that can be pulled, not at Johnny's level, but is then able to, you know, spot a gap because there is a gap and go through the gap and offload, that might be something Johnny doesn't do anymore. So that's the change that you're looking to try and bring to it. And But you're looking for players to be confident. That's the point. It's They're going to get things wrong, but that's okay. That's There's nothing wrong in, in getting things wrong, but it's being confident in the decisions that they make. Um, and I feel that the, the out-halves that have come in have not shown that level of um, confidence to take over the jersey. Now, and I don't expect it in some of the younger guys. That's that's an inappropriate expectation as of yet because they need to get into it a little bit. But for some of the older guys, and Ross Byrne in particular has never put a stamp on it. Um, but the same token, like I'll, I'll go back to the second you need someone to come off a bench to kick a goal, I'd have Ross Byrne, you know, so... Um, it's it's different. It's an unusual situation as to what we have. Where do you stand? You mentioned Ben Healy a, a moment ago, Keith, and the Scotland links aren't going to go away anytime soon. And he is down the pecking order at Munster. So where do you stand on Healy at the moment? Yeah, I don't know where he is in the pecking order of Munster because um, we were, uh, you know, Munster were in Ulster on a incredibly difficult away fixture on a must-win game. Um, totally blocked out of 40 minutes of rugby. Um, they started to build a sense of resurgence for, in that team when Healy came on. So that's something that's really interesting. And I have to say, he's, he looks, don't know him, met him once or twice, but I don't know him at all. But he looks very, very confident in his own capabilities. And sometimes that's required for your 10. You want your 10 to be a bit cocky or, or, you know, know what he's able to go and do and then go and do it. Um, I thought the team changed when he went on the field because, as I said, I think Crowley, I think Roundtree's done well with Crowley. We're playing him at 12 a lot of the time because he is, he hasn't played a huge amount of rugby. So suddenly you had two, um, um, two playmakers. I could see Munster having three playmakers. I could see them playing with both of those at 10 and 12 and Carberry at 15 at one stage, which would be quite a departure from um, from Munster's play of the last few years. But but I thought Healy's passing, it, it, there was a risk to it because he was passing in over the top, but the quality of the passing 
you know, mitigated against the risk. And uh, I thought he looked strong, sharp. Um, I thought Crowley upped his game in the period of time without that extra pressure playing a 10. Um, and I thought they looked they looked like a fairly potent pairing to have in there. And they got the win. I mean, that was the important element for it. It, was, it wasn't that pretty, but they eked out a win, something that was incredibly important for Munster to get to. Can I, let's talk, let's tease out the Scotland thing, right? If you're, if you're a Cooney, I totally understand whatever you do at the moment doesn't seem to be good enough to get you in the Ireland selection. Whatever's happened, you're, you're at this stage of your career outside the tent and you're definitely uh, pissing in, right? But if you're Healy and you're cocky, flirting with Scotland, it, it, it's not, wherever the, the, whatever the thinking is, right? Unless it's just a pressure game, with the IRFU to give him a proper contract and to to leverage your way to a starting job somewhere. Um, I, it doesn't speak to me of a player who's confident in their own ability to nail down the starting position at Munster and then subsequently Ireland. And I'm like, okay, well, if, that's, if you want to go and play for Scotland, go and play for Scotland. Yeah, I, I'm I'm intrigued with with all of that actually. And um, but here's the other thing: he's half Scottish and half Irish. That's one part, right? So you can look at it in that fashion and. Um, so yes, he's living in Ireland and playing in Ireland, but that, that is a way to look at it too. We automatically take him because he's, a, there's any bit of Irish in him, we take him, you know, but that's, that is part of it. Also, careers are short, you know, and you go and you play, um, international rugby, you have a higher value, you have, um, you have an opportunity to build your life out of, out of elements of that. And if you're, like if there's a difference, if the multiple is is huge of a difference, that turns your head. But it also turns your head if you're not getting picked. So you could say one thing here and say, well, actually, if I have a really good, I'm confident, but I see two or three different things in the way and they're not picking me at the moment, then it's outside my capability. Well, maybe I take something inside my capability. Now, look, I'm fighting against myself on that one, obviously, because... I would think of him as Irish, and but he's half Irish, half Scottish. That's the, you know, there's there's no way around that fact. But um, and I don't like players moving from one country to another. I <clears throat> I understand the change in the law that they've had uh, in world rugby, and I kind of agree with that a little bit for people who have moved from from some countries to other countries to go back, but. Look, I still think we need to get our head around the idea of what it is to play for your country. So um, he has an opportunity to do both. But careers are short. And I could just say that I'm becoming slightly more cynical as the world, as, as kind of as I get older. But um, the, the careers are tiny and the injury profile is very, very high. And if you're not getting a chance there's an opportunity elsewhere. Okay, that, so I, that goes against that goes against the core of what I believe in playing for your country. By yeah, the way. I know, I know, I get that. But you're saying you don't begrudge him if he ends up going to Scotland. No, not at all, not even from, vaguely. From no. an Ireland perspective, then, like from an Ireland perspective, I don't think it's great. From a monster perspective, I think it's terrible. So, and, what um, what do you I, do? What if you like? Do you think the IRFU should sign him to a long term contract then and say, look, there's a future for you here? It might not be at monster. Yes, I do, yes, I do actually. No, and and not even saying it. I I think there's uh, I think there's a future for him in Munster and actually what he said is that he well what I've read that he said but you you don't always believe everything that comes in there but that he has he said that if he's playing in Ireland he wants to play in Munster Um, I like that as an attitude Um, 
And I think that we have been, uh, Munster have been slow in promoting um, their own players. They've been fast in the last period of time trying to invest overseas. Uh, here is a guy with a fairly obvious talent, um, still a little bit raw, and um, but as he proved the other day, he is able to play well under pressure. So if we don't make too many of them, we can't be getting rid of them and letting them go elsewhere. And I'm sure there's financial pressures left, right and centre, but I think I think you want to keep the young guys in the game and you want to show that there's a path that if you play well, um, that there is a proper opportunity. I think it's a really difficult balancing act because of the economics, but that's the nature of it. I'd rather spend those economics on a young Irish guy than try and take... Um, a non-Irish qualified player in from overseas. Uh, Keith, Munster have turned their fortunes around somewhat, but a um, bit of a shit show up in Ulster, and we were kind of touching on the comments from, from Dan McFarland after the game in Belfast at the weekend yesterday, where, where he spoke about looking careless in attack, like we didn't care how precious the ball was. Um, fairly strong comments from McFarland, and it kind of got us thinking in terms of, I mean, they're hardly Jose Mourinho-esque in terms of pointing the, the, the finger of blame at players, but where do you stand on, on, on managers and post-match comments and what level of blame should be pointed towards the players? Well, I, look, it was quite interesting. Um, we were in a frozen Thoman Park uh, and we discussed the hammering that Ulster had got um, uh, against Sale, I think it was, and um, the week after losing to Leinster. And I thought they were pretty... They were damaged by that loss against Leinster, against a 14-man Leinster. And then that damage led to the following week to total underperformance. And they've had a really, really difficult December and January. And uh, look, I think an awful lot of this, like I, I like a lot of that Ulster team. I like how they've gone about their, their play. I, I like how they've young players coming in. They've been on an upward trajectory all the time. There's been nothing really really bad in the last couple of years for them in terms of um, they've been beaten by other teams, but you can see the positives in their performance. This year they have, they've suffered. That loss made them suffer. And I think they're having a huge amount of navel gazing at the moment. And I think that they are, I think they're a bit vulnerable at the moment. And so reading the, the riot act to them um, can be damaging or it can be transformative. And but it can only be done once. You know, if he starts coming out and saying that every week, I think it becomes a very slippy road for players and coach alike. Then at that stage, but there's nothing wrong. You you have to pick and choose your times to make those big comments. Um, but I would say that Ulster were dead on their feet um, at the end of that game. That Munster actually looked sharper as the game went on. They put in a huge effort to stop Munster play in the first half. And um, and they needed to be more accurate, and they weren't accurate. And that's the nature of the game. They didn't take the chances that they should have taken. And um, Munster took the two or three chances that they got in the whole game. And like Ulster were the better team for 80% of that game, but couldn't seem to find a place to score. So you can understand why coach would be frustrated by that. And he gave them a proper public bollocking, really. Um, can't do that every week. And he now needs to work in the background to help build up their confidence. And um, But I do think for this team, it's the first time they've had a very hefty 
hit a confidence over the last month. So it'll be interesting to see how they build their way out of that. All right. Keith, we've got to leave it there. Good stuff. Thanks a million. Brilliant. Cheers, gents. That's uh, Keith Wood giving us thoughts on the big rugby stories and that kind of growing sense that Ben Healy is gone from the Ireland situation. We'll see where that ends up. But uh, uh, Cooney and Healy starting against Ireland in the Rugby World don't, Cup. Don't say it, please. Can you imagine? Well, uh, like if he joins, if he joins, there's no um, betting in period. Finn Russell, obviously, has a really terrible relationship ongoing yeah. with the Scotland coach. Scotland RFU are making a big play to get this kid over. Mm. He's going to go straight into the squad. And like, why wouldn't you play him against Ireland? My concern there as well is that, similar to Keith, a big fan, Healy, like he takes a game by the stranglehold and just comes on and has that confidence. And it, like, very, very reliable with the boot. I know Keith spoke about Ross Burns' accuracy there, but Healy's so, so accurate. Yeah, it's a bit short-sighted from the RFU not to be able to tie yeah. down. 100%. And this is one of those things that, that smacks of... Um, Hindsight being twenty twenty, we're gonna the RFU might regret this strongly at some point down the line. Because I know he's making the point. We now seem to have a lot of tens who can play international rugby, but it's not a huge amount. Mm. You don't know which one of them is going to be the twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty, thirty one, thirty two year old who is the one who makes it. Because Healy's twenty three. Yeah, you know? um, like Healy and Crowley could drive each other to being. Like they, they could be Sexton versus O'Gara, except at a club level. Yeah, and and I don't know. Maybe then Joey Carby just becomes a fifteen. But you need to sort this out now. Mm. Um, Terrifying prospect. Maybe maybe give like Laura playing in a World Cup at twenty three. You know. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's international rugby. And I know people have loyalty to certain countries, but if you're if you're half and half. And at the same time, if you want to go and play international rugby for Scotland, go and play international rugby for Scotland. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. That's your choice, and you got to respect that. Uh, you know, because you. You're, you're choosing to do that than fight for your place with Ireland. Mm. That's like still the other choice that's being made here. Yeah. And as you say, age is on their side, so make the decision now. And look, at yeah. Scary prospect, Cooney and Healy against us in the World Cup. I don't like it. Let's, let's stop talking about that for, for now. All right, what's next? We've got the darts, don't we? I think we've got a video beforehand, do we? Potentially. Or oh, we're straight into the darts. Correct. Ah, listen, I can talk about the darts all night long. Um, Glenn Durrant, good morning to you. How are things? Yeah, good morning to you both. How are you doing? Keeping well, keeping well. Three-time BDO World Champion, of course, and uh, PDC Premier League Champion as well. Uh, Glenn, I don't know where to start. Uh, was that the greatest PDC World Championship final of all time? I, I don't think so. I mean, it was an uh, unbelievable game, but I don't think much would ever top the Barney versus Phil Taylor uh, game, which was pretty epic. Uh, I mean, I go all the way back to uh, 1989 as well with Jockey Wilson, Eric Bristow, uh, so there were some fabulous games and I, I just think hate the moment sometimes I think it was the greatest game but definitely the greatest leg was involved uh, that was pretty unbelievable to watch that live that leg I mean I don't even know where to start per, uh, per Wayne Mardell in the, in the commentary booth had to, had to go and take a break for his voice sake but uh, have you ever seen anything like that? No no I mean it's honestly as, as a dark play we dream uh, and when you go to bed and you dream of picking up a lakeside trophy, picking up winning Ali Pali, the Premier League, and then you, then you dream of 180, 180, 180, or winning a tournament on 170. So for actually to happen was unbelievable. And, you know, I, I love my Twitter, uh, and I put a tweet on about Wayne Mardle saying how good his commentary was, and I think it's had more likes than when I won the Premier League, so go figure. Yeah, I think people are getting excited uh, off the couch, a bit like Mardle after that, uh, that nine-darter happened. It was the quality as well, Glenn, of, of the play because there was there was one stage where Michael Van Gerwen was averaging 121 and he won just one leg in that set, which which kind of speaks volumes as to the quality that was on show. 
I think Michael was uh, Michael Van Gogh was a little bit shocked actually because he just was effortless throughout the tournament, and you know people were writing off Michael Smith, and uh, and I think no one had really hit uh, Michael Smith back, uh, Michael Van Gogh back this past couple of weeks, or you know after the first set I had my concerns, but then. You know, that just all turned on that nine data leg where Michael could have won with a one four four, and and moments like that change games. Uh, but unbelievable, unbelievable. You know, to to be sat at home watching it was pretty incredible, uh, and just a, a wonderful final. And delighted for the bully boy. Remarkable, and and I think I was getting carried away along with Stuart Pike and John Part. They were saying it was the best arch match that the match they've ever seen. Of course, as you said, there's a bit of recency bias potentially in there, but there was one point. I think it was the seventh set, uh, Glenn, when uh, Smith had a one thirty checkout back from yeah. 2-0 down, and that was to go 4-3 up. Felt like a turning point. A huge one. The seventh set as well, Van Gerwen had darts to win this set. And I, and I said to my wife, I said, he looks drained now. And I just said, he, he looks... And it's very often you say that about Van Gerwen because he plays you know, to the final whistle. Um, but he just, I think that fifth set and seventh set took an awful lot out of MVG. And from there, Michael Smith... You know, sometimes as a dart player, the only difficult thing after that is getting over that finishing line. Um, and, and Michael Smith had a little bit of a wobble, uh, but then his last three legs, you know, he dipped like Colin Jackson in the 110-metre hurdles, so it was great to see. I think at one point in that, that um, fourth set as well, there was nine consecutive legs in favour of Michael Smith, which when, when you look at Michael Van Gerwen's performance in the quarterfinal and semifinal and how dominant they were, you know, not giving his opponent a set in either game, uh, that's quite remarkable. It, it, it speaks volumes as to the levels that Michael Smith reached. But that's, a, that's an interesting statement as well, that nobody really, you know, sometimes like in a boxing fight, if, you, you know, if someone hits you with the left, you want to hit them with the right. And, and, Mike, and MVG all week was just jabbing his way at the victory. Uh, and Michael Smith in that second, as early as the second set, you know, just threw that first big bomb. And then uh, all of a sudden, MVG just... You know, it was just a little bit too easy for him. And sometimes you need to be battle-hardened like Smith's been over the past 17 days and go through areas where you don't think you're going to win the, the match. You know, you know, against Martin Schindler, he was arguably very lucky to win that game, whereas MVG just cruised his way through and uh, you know, when it came down to the battle at the end, he just wasn't up to the challenge. We were kind of speaking at the start of the show, Glenn, about, uh, about that nine-darter and trying to compare it to other sports. And we've had the conversations in recent weeks Sean Murphy, another man on Twitter who points out the, I guess, the degree of difficulty. I see you shaking your head already, but one four seven nine daughter hole in one. Where do you stand on this whole debate? Yeah, that, I mean, I'm a hundred bridge snooker player myself. You know, that, I grew up playing right. a game called uh, playing a game called billiards, um, and we have got so many world champions from the Teesside, Middlesbrough area. Uh, so it was our sport. Uh, so obviously the transition from billiards to snooker. So you know, I did knock in a couple of centuries in my time. Obviously, I've done a few nine darters and pitch and putt is the only thing I've done a, a hole-in-one on. But I find it difficult to believe that Sean Murphy, under match conditions, I've seen him throw a dart as well. You know, and he's decent. Like, you know, I've seen Mark Selby throw a dart. Mark Williams throws a mean dart. But no way have they done a nine darter uh, in, in, in them sort of conditions. And I'm not having the fact he's just been at home and had a 180-180 because... You know, most players will go 180, 180, and then for fun at the 141. So I don't accept he's done the nine data. Where do you stand on the difficulty level? Like, I know it's tough to compare them, and maybe in some ways it's stupid to compare them because there are three no, different sports, but where, where do you yeah, stand? I think it's quite straightforward. I think the toughest for me is the 147. It's, 
you know, the, the, the darts, obviously, the, you know, the, the target doesn't move. And, you know, there's, there's elements there that you can do with, you know, it's just repetition. Um, which, you know, and there's only nine darts to throw. You can, it's only one minute of excellence that you're looking at. Uh, you know, the 147 for me is still the greatest sporting achievement I've seen. And, you know, the, the feeling for a hole-in-one must be just absolutely incredible. Uh, but for me, the, it, it, in level of difficulty, playing both sports at a reasonable standard, uh, I would say the 147 is the most difficult. For Smith to do it in a, in a final as well um, is is quite something. I know Adrian Lewis did it, as we said, back in back in 2011. I saw someone in our YouTube comments this morning saying, well, was Michael Van Gerwen's 17 perfect darts where he just missed the, the last dart in two, two consecutive legs to have uh, two nine darters? But, but I guess last night, the way it happened, the way both players almost hit perfection uh, was maybe a better achievement really yeah it's what you dream of honestly like without sort of repeating myself it's you know us dark players have our dreams and to hit a nine data to become your world champion for the first time you know to beat Michael Van Gerwen I mean all his dreams come true all in all in one night uh, it was an unbelievable feat and uh, like I said made very very special by unbelievable commentary as well it was a, a wonderful moment for our game that we love you'd almost forget that that Michael Smith hit an 11 darter to win uh, last yeah. night uh, towards the end there were so many crazy moments it's hard to, to, to think back to them all but but that in itself showed uh, balls of steel really for Michael Smith yeah when I, obviously when I won my Lakeside and Premier League it's sometimes you can remember the odd dart here and there but Michael Smith is someone when he comes off and gets interviewed was talking about leg two of set two and you know for me it was all a bit of a haze but I was a very focused player where Michael's a very you know when his when his rhythm is good he's beautiful to watch and you know a phenomenal scorer uh, and you know he just seems to remember everything about it you know if I, if I would say something to him and that's the beauty of social media as well he's already watched the nine dart a million times he said on Twitter this morning so uh, yeah it's just going to be a wonderful few weeks for him now I mean you know I think he wants to go to his beloved St Helens and you know hold the trophy and. You know, I had the luxury of doing that for Middlesbrough Football Club and they're the kind of moments to go back to your family, your friends. He's going to have an unbelievable uh, next 7 to 14 days. Glenn, we've been talking about the, the, the sport and the evolution of it and the amount of money that's been pumped in and the TV coverage and just the, the general sense of growth that there has been over the last period of time. Um, as as the, the money becomes bigger and bigger, uh, more and more people are going to be interested and... Just naturally in all sports, what we see is there's a concentration of talent. It gets better. People spend more time. They do it from earlier on in their careers. Uh, I know you're involved in coaching. Are you already seeing uh, an uplift in the standards from the younger players now? Uh, and how quickly do you expect the acceleration at the at the top level to happen? It's frightening. It's frightening, really, honestly. it's. Uh, I feel like I'm the last bastion of the Wegermans club, you know, that... I was on Eggheads this year and, uh, you know, his first question was about beer and fat bellies and I went on a real Jeff Stellan rant about the fact that we're playing in uh, places like Madison Square Garden, the fact that there's academies right across the country now, you know, and in Ireland as well, there's some wonderful, wonderful players coming through. You know, Keen Barry was will be really disappointed the way he played this year, but, you know, some of the youth players and you know, I, I'm working with you now and I, I've got someone online after this from Ireland, um, you know, when this interview finishes. So it's gone absolutely crazy. And, 
you know, when Ali Pali is on, you can see the, the, the increase. And the beauty of darts is that your tools is 20 quid. You know, you can buy a set of tungsten darts for, for 20 quid. And that's why it was very much a workman's sport. But Barry Hearn saw something bigger, you know, and then when I played at the Premier League in front of 12,000 people, it was just unbelievable. It was just a real, you know, I grew up all my life in workman's clubs playing in front of one man and his dog. And here I am playing in front of 12,000 people. And, you know, it's half a million quid that uh, Michael Smith won last night, plus his 200 grand from um, from the Grand Slam a few weeks ago. You know, the top eight now are millionaires. It's, it's you know, the, the evolution of darts. And it's it's going nowhere. You know, say they're off to Bahrain in, in a couple of days, a couple of weeks' time for the World Series as well. And then it's Q School. Um, it, you know, it's not all roses as well. You know, the, the beauty I can tell you now is wonderful at the top, uh, but it's it's really, really horrible when you're down and losing games and loss of form, etc. So it's not all glamour that you see. The travelling is difficult. You know, trying to get that work-life balance as well is really difficult. But, you know, Barry Hearn saw a dream and he fulfilled that. And it's a wonderful sport to be involved in. You you announced your retirement from from darts uh, in effect as a player back in November, Glenn. But how do you, and you've spoken very eloquently about your 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 fall, I guess, over the over the eighteen months after winning the Premier League itself. How do you how do you explain that to to the to the layman and woman, I guess, who, who don't understand how you can be at such a high level and then I guess some people and it happens in in every sport you see a drop off. Yeah, I, I don't think I have all the answers as well. I'm still trying to find them answers. But if you look at like an analogy of golf, it's like someone going to put the ball and getting the yips. It's like a centre forward being on the six yard line and can't score. You know, and, and you sometimes just need something to come off your, you know, your, your ankle or anything to go in there. And you know, I was fighting away for just a couple of wins there. But for sure, my technique uh, during lockdown um, began to change for whatever reason. You know, a very funny story was my father-in-law said, Glenn, because you're getting too fat. And then I realised, was I getting lazy in lockdown? But, you know, I practised two hours a day every day. I didn't do an awful lot of change there, but I could definitely feel that my throw went from being quite a relaxed throw to very robotic. And then the more you lose, the more the mindset changes. And then I just struggled then to, to, to bring my arm back. And I had no confidence at all when I threw a dart and, and it was pretty horrible uh, in, in the end, you know, losing to players and sometimes losing 6-0 to players you can beat. Uh, and I, I remember a couple of moments. I remember um, playing in the Premier League with, with no crowd, losing 7-0 to Dimitri Vandenberg, ushered back to my hotel room because of COVID conditions, laid there with me dart and the tyres still on at the ceiling thinking, my God, tomorrow night I've got Michael Van Gerwen and the night after I've got Michael Smith. You know, so as much as we said how beautiful of a feeling it is to be a dart player, and I've had them moments when in Lakesides and Premier Leagues, you know, the lows can be just as bad, you know, just as bad as the highs. And uh, I feel quite blessed in a way that I've been, you know, I'm able to accept that I've been to the very top and it feels like I've been at the bottom as well. And uh, if, you know, one of the roles I want to do now is be, be a coach, be a mentor, uh, and speak to people and don't make the mistakes that I did. Such a psychological element to it. Like, have has the coaching given you a second wind? I, I, I've seen oh. sp- sp- uh, speaking before about coaching your your nephew Jamie, for example, as one of the, the top players coming up. Uh, that must give you, you some serious delight to, to, and maybe a second wind in the game as well. Yeah, it's unbelievable. And 
And the moment I lost my tour card, because I, I haven't retired, you know, you, you still hope. I don't particularly have the desire to get to the very top again. And it would seem a million miles away. Um, but I'm playing in the World Seniors. I've got lots of exhibition work with Phil Taylor in Germany and in Ireland. So, you know, I'm still playing darts, but I'm getting an awful lot of kick out of the coaching. And, you know, the, the moment I lost my card, I had three pro tour card players, you know, wanting to come and see me in January. So already I'm dealing with players in the top 64, 32 in the world. And, but I really enjoy someone who walks in, can't stand, you know, balance, can't throw the darts hitting big 13s, you know, et cetera. And then when they leave and they're going 20, 20, 20, uh, and I get a big kick out with that. But, you know, coaching has been wonderful. But, you know, if people are looking for instant results, it's just not there because unless you're someone like Josh Rock, where there's just an unbelievable talent, you know, inside of you, uh, then just learn the fundamentals and accept the journey. And if it takes one year to get to the top, well, for me, 41 years to get to the top. Uh, I mean, I didn't travel till I was age 41 and, you know, won the Premier League in my 50s. So, you know, be patient and just enjoy the game we all love. Uh, you mentioned Middlesbrough there, Glenn. I know you're a big Borough fan. And uh, look, you're in the playoff spots in the Championship at the minute. Things are looking well. Michael Carrick in charge as well. And I suppose from an Irish perspective, we're watching Dara Lennon play, play really well. Uh, must be quite a, a, diff- a difficult time for you because you're, you're looking at Borough's performances and they're great, but then you're watching Newcastle, uh, you're a bit of rivals and you're thinking, ah, here, what, what's going on? So how do you feel about it all at the moment? Yeah, it's great. I mean, the town is buzzing right now. You know, it's, I went to Blackpool away and I really, really was impressed with the performance that we put on. You know, Tuber Akbom is just looking absolutely unbelievable for us and, you know, couldn't score for Toffee last year, so... Um, you know, it, it's great, and it's just good that people have got a smile in the town. It's very much a community club. Middlesbrough, it's the same chairman since the 80s, Steve Gibson, and uh, you know when Butters doing well, it just feels good. And we don't need Saudi money, so uh, you know, stuff Newcastle, and we we've got ten tours. They've got eleven. There you go. Good stuff, Glenn. Thanks really for joining us. Cheers. Thank you. It's uh, Glenn Durrant there talking to us about um, the darts. Not the greatest darts game of all time. Not even the greatest. You're like the greatest sports moment of your life. Yeah, I think I think that leg. Well, no one's going to argue that it's the greatest leg in darts history. Um, maybe match was was a stretch. Yeah, because there have been some some classic finals over the years. Uh, Glenn mentioned a few of them there, but in terms of a leg that got me off my seat and forced me to go for a walk to calm down after the match. I mean, nothing can 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 touch it. As Glenn said, it's a psychological sport, seriously psychological sport. It is 8.52. You're watching OTBAM. Hopefully you've subscribed to our YouTube channel or maybe you're catching us on podcasts on the OTB Sports app and we're brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish your day for the first time this year. Happy New Year, John Duggan. How are you? Ger and Shane, happy New Year to you both. Same to yourself, John. What's going on? What kind of a Christmas did you have? Um, Quiet, uh, as everybody says. I watched a lot of football, watched a lot of racing, met friends, met family, had a few drinks, watched movies that everybody's seen that I hadn't seen before. So that was good fun as well. Any good ones? I saw Rambo for the first time, first right. blood. Wow. Brilliant. Yeah, what was it like? Um, it was it was good. I would give it maybe a 7 out of 10. And uh, I thought Sylvester Stallone was good in it. I nearly watched all of Under Siege. It was on... And That's I was Steven like, Seagal. I must, watch, I must watch a little bit of this. And I've <laughs> got to say, it is enjoyably shit. Like, <laughs> it's, it's kind of perfectly shit. It's so bad, it's great. Colomini's in it. Is he? I'm going to watch this. I mean, yeah, I think he gets... I think he might get vaporised pretty early on. <laughs> mm. But I'm not sure. But I definitely... I hit, I hit record and was like, I'll come back to this. 
I watched All Quiet on the Western Front the other night. Oh yeah, have you seen it? Relatively new. Haven't seen it. Um, it's World War One. Few young lad, young German lads getting recruited in and life on the trenches. Uh, harrowing. It's it's through German with English subtitles. But oh no, I haven't seen this. Sorry. Very very good. Uh, relatively new. Yeah. It's a, well, is it a remake of a classic? Possibly. It might. It might be. I think that the original was literally just after World War One. It could have been nineteen nineteen or nineteen twenty okay. when it was released. But this is uh, oh, it's it's fantastic. Oh. It's up there with nineteen seventy. You've seen nineteen seventy. I haven't seen nineteen seventy. No. No, neither have I. No. Like, is there not four hours of unrelenting grimness? Really? Like, I mean, it's a one-shot film, yeah. Well, of course, it wasn't all shot sequence, but, I mean, it's, uh, it appears that way, uh, 1917. It's up there, it, it's, but All Quiet in the Western Front, one of the best World War One films I've seen. Right. One of the best war films I've seen. In German? It's in German. Okay. Yeah, 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 with the English subtitles. Recommended. What other crap uh, are good movies, John? Uh, Terminator 2, Judgment Day. Ah, I've never had, seen that. Oh, wow. Class. That, that, is, a that is a classic. The Breakfast Club. Oh, yeah. I hadn't seen that. Also very good. Very different from Terminator 2. Yes, Goldfinger. <laughs> I haven't seen that. And The Imitation Game. Yeah. So there's a good few. Cumberbatch. Good variety there, lads. Uh, that's the... Alan Turing, the mathematician. Oh, yeah. It's very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Cool breaking. Yeah, Terminator 2 is good fun. And yourselves, you a good Christmas? Sorry, fans of Off The Ball might not be able to see through the camera, but I'm loving this, John. There's a, there's a slight... Five o'clock shadow. There's midlife a, crisis. You're going for the beard here. Midlife crisis. Did, I, I hadn't noticed. It's 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 yeah. it's faint at the moment, but I think if we stick with it, we have a much smaller camera. This is a little bit of inside baseball slash opening the kimono. But we used to have a big screen that we could look at. But it turned out people weren't looking at the camera, and it, there's a view that maybe if we're not looking at the camera, we're a bit rude to you when we're watching it. So mm. I would have that view. But anyway, the, the big screen was up there. And we used to be able to tell what people. So did. Keith would also have a five o'clock channel this morning. I couldn't. I couldn't tell. It's it's obviously a, a twenty twenty three thing. Yeah, it's a midlife crisis thing. And um, embrace your midlife crisis. Well, that's it. That, yeah. Well, what else? Mine's can been you, ongoing for twenty years. It's what, great. What else can you do? Because um, I've been I've been in this building six years, maybe, and I've never seen I've never seen you with a. I know. With a beard. I was getting tired of the baby face look. Um, Stick with it, John. I'd say yeah, it suits you so yeah, far. Yeah, it does. So we'll we'll have to see. Yeah. And more it, importantly, do the ladies like it? Oh uh, well, we don't know yet. We haven't uh, we, we haven't tested it out. Right. Um, but uh, I'm back in the regime, lads, as well. So um, we'll see how long the regime lasts this year. Hundred days of walking. Hundred days of walking, the diet and everything. So off the booze. So look, um, it's always good to do. I think at the start of every year, just mm. a bit of a reset, you know. But I hope you guys had a good Christmas and um, a lot of racing. Good racing, Leperstown, Limerick, King George, and uh, we also had lots of good football with. Uh, well, uh, patterns emerging, I think. In the yeah, league. I mean, uh, certainly Villa fans very happy with yeah, the Spurs. Yeah, you, you got the bragging rights in the office yourself and Mick. Yeah. It was a comfortable win in the end. The Spurs were terrible. Yeah, certainly in the second half they were terrible. In the first half they were okay, I thought. Like, considering I expected Spurs to be really bad in the first half because they have been in so many games. But what did you make of it? Conte in the back pages today of the London Times. Yes, I read that. Well, Conte is always like, you're in a great relationship and then the partner goes, well, you know, meh. Things might not be working. Yeah, things are kind of working out, but you know, there's probably a- something better for me. Yeah, but you just, just but I'm kind of, I'm, I'm bored at the moment, and you'll yeah. do. And this person's <laughs> only had relationships lasting three years in the past, and um, their family lives in a different country. And you're thinking to yourself, is this person going to stick with me? Um, have I done everything I could have done in the relationship myself? Um, and I think with Spurs, they spent 150 million quid around that. Uh, you know, they kind of splurged out. Yeah. The, well, what would you like? A car? A uh, Richardson? Uh, you know, um, something, anything? Yeah. Uh, so. Uh, we got you some toys. Yeah. And um, you're not happy. Even though I was funny, it was like against Brentford, he was wearing a boss shell suit top. I was going, where, where, where was the Spurs top? I was going, 
that was an interesting thing that I, I spotted. I don't know if that's a, a regular thing or not, but uh, I just think, look, he's always uh, looking to the, the one side of it, Conte, as great a manager as he did a brilliant job as getting us in the Champions League, but the club, I don't know what they were. The club, I mean, as I said on Twitter the other day, I think the club needs to be sold because I think the owner has taken it as far as he can and they've done an amazing job with the stadium. It's a magnificent, it's probably the best stadium I've ever been in. I would say that, wouldn't I? But, but the thing a, is, you'd get good value now. Two billion you'd get at least. They bought the club, and I was looking through the stats here, 27% of the club in 2001, they bought for <clears> 22 million pounds. Right. And the club is now worth at least two billion. London, real estate, amazing stadium. Yeah. Like you've got all these Americans in Gulf states and all these people want to buy the Chinese, the Americans. It's a no-brainer for them. Like they sold what, Chelsea for 4.25 like, if you're Joe Lewis, you're thinking to yourself, hmm, if I want a legacy for my family. Yeah, like... I, I, the, One trophy in 22 <laughs> years. The value of, of Chelsea shouldn't be that much greater than the value no, of shouldn't. Spurs. Was, because the, the stadium? Well, it, exactly. It's about your ability to generate revenue. Yeah. And, like... The ability of one club to generate revenue is not based on, oh, we've won more Champions Leagues than you in the past. I mean, it's, okay, that obviously helps with your global footprint, but whether or not you can monetize a bunch of people watching on illegal streams around the world, I'm not quite sure. So, like, it, it, you know, Spurs, Spurs owners must be looking at the value of Chelsea and going, well, we could get something similar. Yeah, if they want to sell, and if they don't want to sell, what they want to do, just have this as a match day uh, revenue-making business in, in perpetuity. Throwing off cash, you know. Uh, NFL games, rugby, Champions Cup rugby, boxing matches. Concerts. It's pretty uh, depressing, though, if you're a, a football fan and you want the product to be as good as the infrastructure, and the product is uh, pretty poor. Like, since 1988, Spurs have not had a bad run in terms of letting two goals in seven successive games. That's the last time they did that, 34 years ago. And they've conceded uh, the, the, the first goal in their last 10 matches in a row. Son has only scored one, one game this season in the Premier League. Harry Kane, you think, is probably going to be a bit um, depressed after what happened, even though he did score against Brentford. And they, they don't have that creative spark like an Erickson. I think Larice and Dyer are symptomatic to me of, of players that are of, of yesterday and not, not tomorrow. Um, so I, I just think there's a, there is a bit of a malaise. But what does the club want to be in terms of its football project? project? It wants, does it want to be a building well, Pochettino-style project, which they didn't ultimately back? Is Antonio Conte not asking the same question as you? In a way, right? Yeah. So, it, like, I know, he, I know he's got the side eye, right? Yeah. And something hot has attracted him. Whatever it is, we don't know. But is he not asking the same question you are and saying, do you want to be a Champions League club? Because you've got, you've got the resources to do it. Now, I don't know what... what they're going to spend the money on that they haven't spent the money on but like he's kind of hinting at a truth it's uncomfortable because maybe it's too it's too true it is and maybe they spend what they spend and then they say that's enough that we're going to spend and they're only talking about they were talking recently about you have to sell to buy and 30 billion is all, all that's going to be available so Daniel Levy very much controls the purse strings and when the fans are saying get out of our club as a small minority were doing the other day, that's not good for the owner. And that, that might just continue to grow because ultimately when you're looking at the ledger in terms of football success, 11 head coaches or managers since 2001, one league cup, as a friend of mine used to call it the worthless cup. Um, it's just not good enough from a football return. You know, would you want, I know they had a great run. They got second in the league and they got the Champions League final. But what are we going to have now? Pochettino come back in and have another five-year project? I don't know. It's just, to me, it just, it just needs a new uh, outlook from the ownership. Can't I can't go say. back to Poch. No. 
Tuchel, sure. another Chelsea reject. Jose, uh, Conte, and now Tuchel coming in. Where are they going? It, it's a listless. It's the Mary Celeste of football clubs. And to me, they're looking like a seventh place team at the moment. Look um, at the, that Palace away game tonight. Just look at the fixtures. Takes on extra significance when you see their next four league games are Arsenal at home, City away, Fulham away who are in form, and then City at home. Yeah. That's tough. It is tough, tough now. Yeah. Uh, Kulisevsky could be back and... Um, You'd have to think. Hopefully, Son will get get his boots on. If Benton Kerr comes back, Richardson going to play anytime soon? Uh, I don't know. Maybe not for a while. Okay. Um, but I, I just feel that defensively we're we're, we're struggling, and um, we probably only have one really really top defender, and that's Romero. So at the moment, so look, um, the midfield is functional. Like Conte's a, a manager who wants strong wing backs, and he doesn't have any strong wing backs. Perisic is a good player and had a good World Cup, but he's like on, on the wrong side of Father Time. It didn't look like Doherty was... No, I don't think Doherty's... Um, hasn't rekindled the No, form. it hasn't. It hasn't happened, I don't think. Um, if you're looking at, at to, to be a league club. And when I'm looking at other clubs, lads, and I watch a lot of football, um, Arsenal, I know exactly what I'm going to get from them. Newcastle, I think, are the real deal. I think they were... Last night was a fascinating match. United, I think Den Haag, obviously, is doing an excellent job there. City are City, so... Um, Spurs, Liverpool and Chelsea are the three clubs that are struggling to kind of find their identity and find their way at the moment when you have four clubs like United, Arsenal, Newcastle and City that to my mind have a clear focus and a clear plan Peter Cleary says gas to see the lads completely ignore United's result again wall to wall coverage when results weren't going well hashtag bitter and then John McMorrow in the comments goes they're literally two thirds United fans and talk about them every day what are you talking about? Uh, which is I'm very, sure you've had Colin in talking about very it. Very polite, yeah. John. We, we, I mean, we didn't, didn't get into the nitty gritty of it, but uh, the, we got carried away with the darts. Well, and well, Evan Ferguson. Rightly so. And Evan Ferguson's the lead today. Yeah. Well, it should be the lead, yeah. It should be the lead. And, you know, I think the fact that he comes from a footballing background with his dad and everything, I think his head is, will be on his shoulders, you'd hope. And I think the one thing about him is the way he just shrugged off Saliba for that goal against Arsenal was, whoa, that, that, that was interesting. Mm. Um, and I think he's got that physical presence. And if De Zerbe isn't going to back him already, like the movement for that goal last night was excellent. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. found uh, space. Yeah, found space. So, look, um, if, he's, if he's playing regularly football, like one of the things like, I kind of came in my mind is Quentin Kelleher needs to be playing football. Yeah. Because I'm looking at Bazunu every week and going, like he's playing in front of hostile crowds. He's going away from home. He's part of, like he's on the bus or whatever and he's making penalties say or he might make a mistake or whatever. The amount of experience he's gaining. It's true, it definitely helps. Nathan Collins, Joe Hodge, these players, these, should, these players should be all around the Ireland first team. Now, Mark Travers not having a great, great time picking the ball out of his net a lot. So there is a, you know, um, if Cleveland Keller was to go to the best team in the championship in the summer and then have a full season in the championship yeah. winning games and then and then see where his situation is at Liverpool and see what Liverpool are doing with Alisson in the medium term. Um, very briefly, yeah. the Gaelic football situation, is, is it tonight you're thinking about going to? Well, I, I was considering it. There was hurling action last night, I know. But, Davey, um, Davey's yeah, back. Davey's back. Yeah, back I, think I think we're going to hear from him this weekend, are we? Surely. Yeah, I can't. I can't do these competitions, though, lads, at this time of year. I'm just not into them. Ah. John, I, I have to say, I'm, I'm big into them. Um, how, how big into them, Shane? How big? Well, how, how moved have you been? I know John has, is unaware of this, but John, I was so excited by the return of the Dr. McKenna Cup that I decided to write a poem about it. Okay. wonder, you can maybe critique the poem live on air if you want here. I can, I can give it its first reading. Will that be okay? Oh, stony grey soil of the McKenna Cup. <laughs> Clearly, yeah. The, uh, yeah, the poetry. Did you get Malachi working or something? Good, hopefully. I didn't actually get him in, but... Um, <laughs> oh, well, so uh, I think we maybe have a little bit of backing music, so... Good man, Shane. 
This is the my poem to, to restart the Mechanic Cup tonight and how emotional. It's called Hup the Mechanic Cup. <laughs> Frozen pitches, midweek games. It's the time of the year for mud jersey stains. Because Christmas is over, December is up. I'm so happy it's time for the Dr. Mechanic Cup. <laughs> January ball, the new manager bounce. Can Monaghan retain their title with others looking to pounce? Throne of the Kingpins, Murphy's gone from Donegal. Can Cavan add to their Mechanic Cup hall? Andy McEntee's in situ in Belfast. Geezer's still there in the orchard. In Down, Laverty will have the Kilku boys tortured. No win since 97 for the men from the urn, while a spit in the hands could lead to Derry and Gallagher's turn. So get out the woolly hat and pay your tenors admission. It's the time of the year when youngsters come to fruition. Forget the Masters, the Olympics, the World Cup and all that, because the Mechanic Cup in January is where it's really at. <laughs> Good stuff. Beautiful chain. So that's how I, that's how I feel about the return of the, the, the pre-season competitions. Not getting carried away. Was that was that a nod to the famous Ross Common minor commentary? Forget the Masters. Forget the Ryder Cup. No, I forgot about that. But uh, oh, it should have been. Yeah. Did, was that was deep that in the, the recesses of your brain? Yeah, inadvertent. Who was that? Willie the Shoe or somebody? Was it one of those local? Yeah, legends. Forget the Ryder Cup. Forget the mm. World Cup. <laughs> this is the Ross Common Miners. Well, I don't know what the name of the uh, Connacht's minor championship is but uh, excellent are you going up to it you going? I, I was half thinking it's in Castle Blaney Monaghan down tonight the first, the first group What's game the, well, how much is it in I'd say it's probably 10 or 12 quid okay. All right. I okay. can't imagine it's much more well the pump said it was a tenner so if they charge any more than that yeah. you're like no no it's, I heard it Surely I get free oh, in for the poem. False advertising. Yeah, I mean, come on. Bring, actually, bring the poem to the gate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just hand it to them. I, I was looking for, for streams. I can't find a stream on, on, online or a, or a way to watch it otherwise. So Let That me, is commitment. Yeah, I'd be forced to go up. But you're not, you're not having these competitions, John. Uh, it's not, no. I just... Uh, no, I'm not. It's the return of getting football in Hurland. I think it matters to a lot of people, yeah. yeah. Like, there's been big games at these. Um, I didn't actually realise that Monaghan were the defending champions. There you go. Uh, that's that's part of the reason why I'm so excited. I don't, I beat, beat don't, last I year don't like the way the, the the real business end of the year is squeezed into a few weeks when you have these weeks when these are you know competitions that have nowhere near the meaning that the big ones do. You're not hot for the super sweet sixteens or whatever it's called. Oh, in um, the, Billy Idol's only sweet sixteen, or is it the Furies? I, I can't remember. Um uh, Johnny Sexton, obviously. Yeah. Uh, it'd be great to see Ross Byrne get a starter's chance as Shifty Lad. If you're not playing 10 regularly for Province, Ireland is hardly the place to start, says Mark C. Also, have a great side, results not matching how good of a side they are. If Healy was Leinster, they'd keep him, says Danny Mack. Kind of ignoring the fact that uh, Leinster wanted to keep an out half previously who is now currently playing at Munster. So, I'm not sure that's true. <laughs> Did but, you um, join the darts? Because you, like me, sit in the fence bit with the darts, Jared. Did you enjoy it? I didn't see any of it. Okay, okay. Did you watch it, John? I watched it after the Arsenal game. Yeah, yeah, fair. Um, I was triple screening and, last night, and I saw the, uh, the 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 leg. It was uh, it was a pretty amazing stuff. You have to say. Um, I, th- I think if you're not into darts, as Phil Phil Egan texted me last night, if you're not into darts after last night, then you, there's no saving you. You can appreciate it, but you can be not that into it. And look, I mean, uh, listening to that guy who was great and now is no good, like and uh, you know the two hours practice every day. Um, Glenn Durant, yeah, yeah, the I, and. It's, interesting and I think I do think though that like what's rare now with the nine darts is going to just become matter of course because there'll be loads and loads and loads and loads of people who if you think about how golf transformed after Tiger Woods started to aggressively practice hitting the ball far Mm. and the explosion in distance that came in the aftermath of that so when Roy McIlroy arrived he was like hitting the ball further than everybody now everybody he's just kind of not average but like 
uh, loads of big hitters exist. What'll happen is that a bunch of people will try and win half a million quid uh, in that tournament, and the nine dart thing is going to be like. But it's the same as any sport, like golf. Uh, the darts uh, averages have increased year on year. You can see it in the statistics how the prize money is in tandem with the increased level. Is it the same in in golf? Like, has go- have golfers got much much better than they were in the eighties, nineties? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Far better. Well, they're hitting the ball. But but darts is a, darts is a success story of entertainment. Yeah. That's what darts has been mainly a success story of. It's Barry Hearn and entertainment and Sky and the crowd and the interaction with the crowd. That is a big story of darts over the last two decades rather than the sport would, itself. And you would hope that the FAI are looking at that going, I mean, they've got a really good product here. Evan Ferguson played in the yeah. League of Ireland for a little while. Right, John, good stuff. All right, lads. Good to see you. Welcome back. Happy Thank New you. Year. Uh, OTBIM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish today. Here's what's on OTB Sports Radio for you today. The Club Championship show is live from one o'clock. Um... We have Koi uh, uh, Gig at three. Our retro panel is a forwards masterclass with James Dunhu and Colin Gooch Cooper. Catherine Switzer is OTB Gold at six and the show is live tonight with Joe Malloy from seven with Wednesday Night Rugby and plenty more besides. You can follow us across all our social channels and subscribe to the OTB Podcast Network for all the best in sports content. Up next, News Talk's tech guru Jess Kelly is in the studio to tell us about a very exciting new virtual reality headset courtesy of PlayStation. It's all in partnership with Virgin Media. Bring your A-game with 99.9% broadband reliability. First, here's Kenny Cunningham back in studio with Joe last night talking about Harry Maguire's future at Man United. Like, so Maguire comes back from the World Cup feeling a touch rehabilitated and then the Luke Shaw thing happens. That must be embarrassing for Harry Maguire. Embarrassing. Yeah. You don't really know, do you? There was that, I was amazed he didn't play the force came back because he was, he was, he was, it was an illness, wasn't he? He was under the weather, but he was fit to be on the bench, but not fit to start. You know, you need him for 20 minutes if you, all of that didn't, didn't wash with me, really. I think the fact that Shaw played the subsequent game tells you what it really was. Yeah, I think so. I think so. But just where he is, it's not a huge surprise, is it? I don't think he warrants a place. It's as simple as that. No, I think he was competent in the in the World Cup. He didn't bow me over. I thought some sure. of the uh, descriptions of him were a little bit over the top in terms of how we prefer the limit. But competent but from where he was was absolutely brilliant. Exactly. There's a pretty low bar. Yeah. So that's what I'm talking about. The limitations which he has as a player are still there before he went uh, What's his biggest limitation Cup? for you? Oh, lack of athleticism, speed. Slow to turn and speed. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like yeah. Particularly in terms of how this manager wants to play from full high press, yakety yak. Yeah. You know, you're gonna, to do that, you have to send your full backs up the pitch in advance here, centre halves. And at times, you're going to have to defend 1v1 situations, grass in behind. So that's exactly where you don't want to be if you're, if you're Harry Maguire. We know the attributes that he has, but it's, you know, top club like Manchester in terms of where they want to be. It's very, to see, very difficult to see Harry Maguire as part of the future. Yeah, you could see him as part of the squad, 23-man squad, four-choice centre-half. He's not going to be happy to play that role over the next three or four years, is he? So, yeah, I can see that coming to its natural conclusion, possibly in the summer. Mm. Where will he pitch up? What level is Maguire in the Premier League? Yeah, I think he can't... Well... I'm oh, sorry, you're not even... He's you're in not, the pre- No, he's in the Premier League. Of course <laughs> okay. he is. But yeah, I think he's just got to be careful. So I, I'd say I'd look a little bit like the likes of, say, Connor Cody at uh, Everton. I look at him... In terms of, his, I know like Cody, good talker, reads the game well, good distributor, but again, lacking in speed, kind of athleticism. But um, at Wolves and even at Everton now, he kind of protected a little bit, you know, more of a lower defensive block, people around him, good screen in front, hasn't worried too much, balls down the sides and in behind. You know, that type of maybe setup. Now, you can't play the whole 90 minutes and he's camped on the edge of your box. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but it certainly helps if you're playing in, 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 in that type of team. And not in the team which looks to dominate possession and spend all the time in the opposition half, commit players into forward areas 
and you're kind of holding your position on the halfway line for the majority of the game, wondering about that one uh, counter attack or that one ball over the top diagonal run that's going to do you in behind. So, yeah, I, I think so he's, he's premiership quality, and there will be interest in him. It's all a case of Manchester being Manchester United being fair on the transfer fee. He's got to compromise a little bit of wages. The usual kind of stuff will come into it at the end of the day. OTB AM. <laughs> Oh yeah, you have your own theme tune, Jess. I know, right? Very good. Love it. Thank wow, you. quite analog. Mm. Old school nostalgia. Yeah. Synthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I approve. Uh, how are you? I'm all right. How are you? Yeah, very good. Um, the post Christmas, everybody's kind of um, packed up their boxes, jumped up and down on the green bin, and um, <laughs> returned the electronic stuff that um, their parents and grandparents got them that they didn't want. Yeah, it is the most wonderful time of the year. There's going to be a lot of stuff, I'd say, flying up on some of the resale websites over the next little while. People don't need a digital photo frame that doesn't really work that well. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's, it's funny. There was no real big tech toy this year, aside from the consoles. I didn't see like one big thing dominate. I think next Christmas we're going to see a lot of what we're talking about today in terms of virtual reality headsets. But there was no real sort of runaway train in terms of tech this Christmas, I don't think. So virtual reality, right? We're going yeah. to talk about the, the PlayStation one. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been a massive investment by Facebook in this area in recent years. And it hasn't quite returned the dividend that I think they thought it was going to for them. No, and it's not returning for anyone as of yet. So specifically today, and you just saw it on the screen there, we're talking about the PSVR, so the second iteration of this. The first iteration was out six years ago, six and a half years ago, and it was promising to be the next big thing in gaming. However, it was kind of a little bit too early. I don't know if you remember, Jerry, years and years and years ago, like maybe 15 years ago now at this stage, there was a VR headset in this office. And it was basically a thing where you sit on a chair and simulated that you were on a roller coaster and everyone was losing their minds because they were getting that feeling in their tummy like they were on a roller coaster. And we thought this is the extent of virtual reality. Was that Oculus Rift? That was, yeah, yeah. So obviously it wasn't 15 years ago, but it was a long time ago. And a lot of us were super excited by it. Um... But the uses for it kind of hit a wall after the roller coaster thing. Um, do you remember we actually did a thing on Off the Ball a few years ago, maybe six years ago, where we put it on you and you were going around one of the golf courses. There was yeah. some golfing thing on. Um, that was pretty cool. That was a, an example of how it could be brought into the sporting world a little bit more. But the key issues here were that, number one, the technology was super expensive and it still kind of is. And number two, the people developing the content for these consoles uh, and these headsets, they just couldn't keep up the pace. And so it wasn't really worth your while spending a grand, if not more, on a headset to just do one or two things. So it's not died a death yet. Like Mark Zuckerberg is very much investing in the metaverse. He's changed the name of Facebook to Meta because he firmly believes this is the next iteration of the Internet. He's pumped in like millions and millions of dollars to this. We're already seeing certain brands like Nike, for example, have already put in a lot of money into what their representation in the metaverse is going to look like. But the key question is, will the consumer follow? And I'm not talking about like nerdy kids like Shane. I'm talking about actual normal human beings who interact in real life and want to spend their money in real shops. What's it going to take for them to shimmy into the metaverse? Matt, I saw someone watching the World Cup final at home with, mm. the, with the whole headset and virtual reality and yeah. as if they were in one of the seats in the stadium you could pick your seat yeah. and just have the atmosphere and 
it, like I don't know where it ends. Yeah, but but I, like this is the thing, and I kind of I'm I was a little bit skeptical of VR to begin with, just because that's my nature. But I think the more I see the brands getting behind it, I think initially, like six years ago, even it was still too early for a lot of the brands to get behind it. But now they are all going for it. A few weeks back, I was at a thing with Leinster Rugby, and they were showing their interpretation of uh, the metaverse and what virtual reality would mean to them. So they took a bunch of journalists down to an office building beside the concert hall and we were all given uh, VR headsets and we were taken to the Aviva and we got to go on top of the Aviva, we got to walk around the stadium and they were saying that, like obviously, you know, in the RDS at some stage they did the Aviva because it was just an easier one to model but um, that fans will be able to get extra experiences so just because you can't go to a game doesn't mean you can't be present at a game and, you know, maybe you could pick your seat at a stadium and you won't have to get pneumonia for it and, you know, maybe you could walk in and see what's going on behind the scenes and all that kind of stuff so I think the different clubs are taking it seriously and I think it's just a case of trying to convince the fan that you know okay you can't go to a game but sitting on your couch you can have as good if not better or maybe different an experience it's a tricky one for them because they make so much money from match day revenue and the thing about live sport that makes it so important as we learn post covid is that you need fans at the game like you need the atmosphere mm. maybe there's some way of like listening in I mean obviously the technology exists through the Alexa where you know Jeff Zuckerberg is sitting in his lair listening to every single conversation that's <laughs> happening Jeff Bezos is sitting in his lair listening to every conversation that's happening um, so you, you know you should you should have a two way thing where you can shout from your couch and make noise in the crowd but if you lose the if you lose that atmosphere I don't think you will though I think they're, I think that's going like again we're just at the beginning of this and in terms of like so firstly in terms of the, the noise and all the rest and the interactivity that's what the metaverse is all about the metaverse isn't about you at home interacting on your own it's about the three of us being in our homes and still being able to have this experience where I can look left and I can look at you and it feels like and it sounds like we're in the same room and you know if you were to stand up and walk over to me now but I'm looking directly ahead I would be able to hear because of the way the mics and the speakers are positioned within the headsets, I would almost sense your presence before I see your presence. So I think that interactivity is definitely going to be there. In terms of the financial side of things, it's fascinating if you look at what's happening on TikTok. I don't know if any of you have wasted hours over Christmas watching TikTok lives, so it's just an absolute time drain. (laughs) But there are certain creators that get sent gifts. So people who are watching... Just people, I don't know, whether they're cooking or they're cleaning their house or whatever it is, they're doing TikTok streams live and people are sending gifts that are financial-based gifts. So you can top up and you can send people essentially money uh, just for existing. So you can bet your bottom dollar that these businesses, and that's what sports clubs are, are going to invest and find ways for fans to interact and show their support by, you know, tapping a rugby ball icon that translates us to Euro or whatever it is. You know, there are so many different ways. We saw this during COVID as well, where, you know, you could be represented in a stadium on a screen or whatever it is. Like sports, we know what I think is going to change dramatically, and everything, like as we know, it is going to change dramatically. It's just a case of ensuring that the last person who wants to get involved gets involved. Like I always say, that my big thing with tech is trying to bring everybody along. It's not enough if, like, you know, thirty percent of people are super into it. We need to have everybody because otherwise, you have these big divides. And as this tech evolves, and as we live more of our lives in, you know, the metaverse or virtual reality or whatever that disparity is going to become more stark and I think it'll be more consequential as time goes on as well. 
I don't want to sound like the old man in the room here, but um, <laughs> try. I know, not easily done. Um, sorry, Jar. But the so the VR headsets, like in terms of safety, like weren't all those young kids dying going around trying to catch Pokemon Go and stuff? Like when you were walking the golf course, were you actually walking around, or were you just? Oh, no, sit- there's um, there's great. I mean, there's great videos of people running into. Uh, <laughs> like my favorite one is uh, Ronnie O'Sullivan. He was playing uh, <laughs> and uh, snooker, and he kind of like fell off the table. He went to lean on the table, and the table wasn't there, and just he fell, fell over. Forward. It's my favorite. Like- no, but there are safety concerns, and that's one of the things about the new PSVR is that they've built in a view panel so that you can see what's around you. The Pokemon Go thing was augmented reality, yeah. so that was a layer of virtual reality laid over what was in real life. So essentially, the Pokemon, it would appear that the Pokemon is like on the edge of this table, mm. and I would stretch across to grab it, but the, the, the it sort of wasn't lining up perfectly, so people were getting hurt. And then get hit by a bus. Yeah. Nice to keep it cheery on a Wednesday morning. Oh, yeah. Thanks, early, everybody. Early New Year for you. A little bit of um, foreshadowing of your death. <laughs> yeah. Happy New Year, everybody. That's my gift to you. Uh, so let's talk about the specifics of this one, right? Yeah. So this is, as I said, this is the second iteration. So it's PSVR 2. It's coming out on the 22nd of February. And this has been hotly anticipated. And people have been dying to see what improvements Sony would make to try and make for a better experience. So as you'll see here, you have the headset itself and then you have the two uh, sense controllers. So they sit in one, uh, one in each hand. You put your headset on. And they have really amped up the tech inside it. So you're going to have two 2000 by 240 display for each eye. So each eye is getting stellar displays right in front of you. So you'll have a 4K HDR display. There's intelligent eye tracking built in. So if we were all playing a game and I threw you a look, like I'm throwing you a look now, you'd be able to see it and you'd be able to follow where I'm going in terms of my eye line and so on. You have a 110 degree field of vision. So that just gives you that proper immersive experience. So like the fan that you were talking about, Shane, watching a match, you know, everything in your peripheral vision and directly in front of you is of the scene that you're you're immersed in. And it gives you that extra layer of reality. They've also done a lot in terms of 3D audio. So ensuring that if you are playing a game with bow and arrows and an arrow flies by your ear, you're getting that whoosh sensation and it kind of just brings you in a little bit more. And they've done a lot of work with the controllers as well to try and ensure that you're getting that extra bit of precision. So when you are, if you are playing, say, a shooter game or even if you're touching something, they've put a lot of work into being able to allow you to be more precise. So with a single digit, you can, you know, touch something, you can reach out. You are getting the haptic feedback in terms of, you know, if, again, if you're playing one of those evil, horrible games, uh, you are getting that shock back into your arms. And I am excited to see what they do with it. But firstly, it's still expensive. It's 600 quid. And secondly, it's all reliant on the titles. Like when the first PSVR came out a few years ago, I had one in my apartment and there was a novelty aspect to it. So I was very, very excited. And I think it came with a Batman game where they gave us a Batman game to try out. And so for 15 or 20 minutes, I was like, I am Batman in Leopardstown. And you do feel it everywhere you look. You are seeing like the utility belt. You're seeing your hands. You're hearing things. Bats fly by. It's super immersive. And then at around minute 19, you want to puke because the sensation is just kind of gross. I'm not somebody who overly enjoys wearing heavy headsets that kind of fog up and make you feel a bit nauseous. So I think that's going to be a serious factor to see if the better display and the better audio calibration and all the different things they've done have eradicated that sort of 
sickly feeling that sometimes comes from VR. I can't wait to see how it's going to be adopted into into real life because I think back to the you know my dad talks about watching the moon landings in the sixties and yeah. you're obviously watching the grainy footage on TV and now NASA are going back with this Artemis program by 2025. I'd love to like. There's definitely going to be a, a way in which you can probably 100%. watch them walking on the moon in relative real time. Yeah. Like like you're there almost. Yeah. Like it's going to be insane. But that's the possibility. And so that's why some people sort of scoff at VR um, and think that it is just in the world of gaming. I think gaming is sort of the gateway drug for it to become a bit more mainstream. But Sony, they've invested a lot of money into the PSVR too. And there are already projections and predictions of the, the amount of units they need to sell for this to be deemed a success. And if it's not deemed to be a success, the VR ball is very much in Meta's court because, you know, it'll basically all be hinging on them. Their new headset that was released uh, late last year did very well at Christmas. Like, not bonkers numbers, but it did quite well. And I think that'll go up again next year. But it's all reliant on the content because there's no point in having... Like, there was no point in having a Blu-ray player if all you had was VHS tapes, right? And that's kind of the same thing that we have now at VR. Yeah, and and it being accessible and everything and the point bringing people along. Like, I presume VR is being used in flight simulation and in high-end sports franchises but that's just at a much higher and therefore more expensive level than the stuff that is being mass produced yeah and you know i saw a few years ago i was in um where was it in birmingham and the west midlands police there use vr as an alternative to getting penalty points on your license so if you are caught drink driving or if you're caught speeding there was an option in like a pilot scheme rather than getting the points on your licence, to sit through a 12-minute VR simulation of what just happened, but you are the person who's impacted by either the drunk driver or the speeding driver. And I watched about two minutes of it. It is incredibly impactful. So it's being utilised in terms of education. I know that some of um, some medical students are now using things like VR to get a better understanding of how to treat patients, particularly in trauma cases. So there are so many uses of for it, but it does need that backing in terms of the content because to produce this stuff is super expensive. And I think, I know I'm making the same point time and again, but it does come down to that. Um, I think, was it Paul McCartney a few years ago did a, a thing whereby a gig was streamed and you could put on a VR headset and you could feel like you were standing in front of um, the stage watching him play. It's going to take artists and individuals with clout and big pockets to be able to make this accessible to more people. Very interesting to see the Zuckerberg bet and if it comes off. Jackie yeah. Wright, who's a regular commenter uh, on our YouTube channel, says the metaverse is huge. I've done a lot of voice over work for Meta in the last two years, but it's mainly crypto related. Interesting to see how it works in the world of sport. It is going to be very interesting to see how it works in the world of sport, especially as crypto falls apart. <laughs> like Hot take. One of the Bitcoin... Uh, originators was like oh my wallet got compromised and he's lost three million quids worth he's like literally the guy who was involved in like building the whole thing and his money's not safe but your money's safe no no absolutely your money's safe give it to me please <laughs> I'll mind it in my revenue for you if you want just uh, at your <laughs> uh sorry sidetrack there um, Google have pulled out of uh, Google Stadia yeah this is uh, it's not really a shocker but it's kind of sad news so before Christmas we were talking about how streaming is very much the future of or sort of the immediate feature of gaming so we talked quite a bit about the Xbox Game Pass that allows you to pay a subscription fee and then you can download and play games straight away Google back uh, a number of years ago uh, in 2019 launched a thing called Google Stadia and the idea was to enable gamers to uh, be able 
to play in real time. So you would take out your phone or your TV and you would log in and you'd be able to stream games. They'd be sort of hosted off a, a Google server somewhere else in the world, meaning that it wasn't, uh, you didn't need a console essentially. And it was deemed to be like, you know, it was looked upon as very exciting and it could be something that would open gaming out to more people. Um, however, it just didn't work. Uh, Google has now pulled the plug and as of January 18th, anyone with a Google Stadia account will lose access to their account. But the good news is, if you did uh, buy a Stadia or if you bought any games or downloadable content, you will be getting a refund from Google. Uh, so they're going to reimburse anybody who essentially put money into it as wow. a consumer. Um, and they're saying that the tech development from this project will now be sort of sucked up in other parts of the company. But it's just one to watch. I'm, I'm interested to see what they do next in terms of gaming. CES is on this week, the Consumer Electronics Show. Why aren't you there, Jess? Uh, because Colm said that I had to be here to talk about gaming with you guys on a Wednesday morning. That's right, so, yeah. You know. It's also Vegas, say, yeah. you know, the glamour quotient is equally high. I can read a press release at my desk. It's fine. Um, so, yeah, I'm not there. Very sad. Single tier. But uh, there's going to be a whole host of developments from the world of gaming at CES. Sony is there. We may get more titles unveiled uh, for the PSVR at the moment. I think there's only one or two uh, self-published titles, so we may get more insight there. But uh, we will obviously have all of that news later in the week. Didn't Apple talk about their VR offering in the last couple of days? Yeah. Now, again, Apple has kind of been talking about and not talking about non-background and little rumours and stuff like that about a whole host of stuff for a while but we know that gaming like they have their arcade uh, apple arcade subscription on phones and a lot of people are invested in that mobile gaming is a big deal and there's a lot of money to be made there i do think we will see more innovation in this space over the next few while but i kind of wouldn't be hanging my hat on anything because usually there's a long walk up to any of this sort of stuff Apple's valuation fell below two trillion yesterday for uh, the first time in a while they were three trillion in the middle of last year. It's like, it's quite a lot. Mm. It's like, kind of, you know, uh, poor Elon Musk has lost 200 billion yeah. this year. It's, um, I feel it's, sorry for him all right, Joe. Interesting, interesting <laughs> times in the, old, uh, in the old tech world. Being interesting to see how that all goes. Uh, one last question. I, for reasons that are too boring to go into hmm. at the moment, ended up with a couple of um, Chromecasts. Okay. What's the point of them? What do they do? Sorry. I've been talking to you about Chromecasts for about seven years now. Yeah, but I, I don't, I don't actually need one, do I? In Chrome from your, you can go from your phone to, I know, but to I, TV and can stuff. I not do that anyway, no? Okay, so the idea with a Chromecast, back before every TV was a smart TV, you'd buy a Chromecast, they were like 30 quid, you'd plug them into the back of your telly and you'd be able to put everything and anything from your phone on. Uh, it worked really, really well. Now that a lot of TVs are smart, or pretty much every TV is a smart TV, they are slightly less useful. However, if you have a TV with a UI that you absolutely hate and you find it really difficult to navigate through, or if you don't want to go rooting down the back of the couch for one of the 17 remotes that you have to have to have a TV these days, you can bypass that all by going through the Chromecast. So I really like it. I actually still use the Chromecast. I have the Chromecast with Google TV and it's far superior to the UI on my, on my TV, which is a nice TV, but I just couldn't be bothered navigating it. So if you are someone who wants to do everything from your phone, uh, that is a really good way to go. If you want to, um, I suppose, as I said, bypass the, the crappy UI, it's the way to go. They're not as useful as they were, but I still wouldn't get rid of the two that I have. Okay. Um, in fairness, I did want to watch something on Vimeo. I had a screener for mm. North Circular before we were interviewing oh, yeah. Luke McMahon as the director, and very hard to get that on um, different 
TVs, even on the um, smart TVs, and actually ended up just sticking the laptop in and getting the HDMI cable and doing it that way. But so Chrome, Chromecast, Chromecast would have helped there. Yeah. yeah. All right. Jess, good stuff. Thanks a million. Thank you. Uh, that was your gaming slot in partnership with Virgin Media. Bring your A-game with 99.9% broadband reliability. Uh, we're back tomorrow morning with Shane's first around the world of 2023. Reaction to the midweek Premier League action. We'll chat about the return of intercounty action and plenty more besides. We're live each morning with Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Right now, we leave you with Antrim's Mount Rushmore. Enjoy and happy hump day. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.